five, four, three, two, one. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Here we go. It's game time. Welcome to Sports and More, where almost anything goes. Coming to you from the marsh just outside of Edmonton, Alberta, here's your host, Dean Millard. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Nice to be in orbit. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, uh, depending on when you are listening to this. Thank you very much for downloading Sports and More, the podcast, episode 14, and uh, our final episode before we go live. Well, we might sneak in uh, episode 15, it'll actually be on the uh, same day, but Sports and More Live uh, launches next Tuesday, a week from today, on uh, a 12-ounce sports radio. Uh, the 12-Ounce Sports Radio Network. We will quench your thirst for sports. Uh, 2 p.m. Mountain Time, Monday to Friday, is when the show will air, uh, starting uh, the day after Labor Day. So we'll have lots to talk about uh, 2 p.m. live, Monday to Friday, on the 12-Ounce Sports Radio Network. And we have a lot to talk about today. Uh, almost anything goes. We stay away from politics and religion, if you're uh, new to the show, for the most part. Uh, today, we uh, we will not be getting political, but we are going to have a lot of fun with Joaquin Gage, a former Oiler goaltender, old goalie on Twitter, and he is a good storyteller, a good dude, and uh, played with some uh, pretty uh, interesting characters. So he's going to he's gonna tell some stories about uh, some of his former Edmonton Oiler teammates, uh, like uh, who was the... Who had the who had to have the best hair before going out into uh, warm up? Uh, kind of an interesting story about Tom Pody and his sticks, and um, you know just uh, uh, some you know general goodness about Doug Waite, as you would expect. Doug Waite seemed to be a pretty good guy from all the dealings I ever had with him. He was a pretty good guy. So walking gauge, we're going to split that into two. We're going to talk about the current day Oilers. We're going to talk about uh, his career. We talk about superheroes because he's a big comic book guy, and we'll get to our uh, top three, which is kind of in line with that in a little bit. Also, Jamie Thomas, of course, from Jets TV. He joins us for Fantasy Fun Time every week. We'll recap the draft. Andrew Luck throwing a wrench into things, and good for him. He was retiring at 29, and I'll have more thoughts on that in just a minute. But uh, news today, Jesse Pugliarvi of the Edmonton Oilers signing a one-year contract in Finland does have an out clause uh, to come to the NHL. It has to be done by Defe- December 1st. So that's the magic date. Mark that on your calendar uh, to whether or not Jesse Pogliarvi will play in the NHL this year. Um, he has to decide by December 1st. And uh, Ryan Bershog reporting that there has been some talk uh, with some teams, but Ken Holland is going to wait until he gets what he wants, and who can blame him for that? Um, this is silly though. His value is going to go down in Finland. Um, I, I don't understand this. Uh, Jesse Pogliarvi, if he wants to up his value, can come and earn a spot in the NHL. The, the, you could still get traded while playing for the Oilers. Whatever the value the Oilers are, we're going to get for Pogliarvi. It goes down with him playing in Finland. I'm sorry. It's just, a, it's not the NHL. NHL execs are going to say, okay, uh, he's playing really well, but we're only going to give you a quarter or, or half of the price that we were going to give you 
if he was in the NHL. So this is just a, I think it's a mistake by Pugliarvi. Um, listen, I think that he should just come here and try and earn a spot. Um, can he regain his confidence playing in Finland? Possibly. Um, I, but I think he could also do that with the right situation in Edmonton. Now, Derek Van Deest last week was talking about maybe he just doesn't fit in or want to fit in uh, or feels like he fits in the dressing room and, and he just wants a fresh start. So the Oilers are going to have to make a decision at some point on uh, Jesse Pogliarvi. Um, I just think that this is such a tragic situation because there is nowhere in the NHL where he is going to get more of an opportunity than here in Edmonton. And it is a new coach. It is a new GM. So I just think this is, yeah. and listen, the Oilers have mishandled this situation. This guy should have been in Finland his first year of eligibility, then in the AHL, and just, you know, getting into the NHL after that. So um, this has been mishandled by the Oilers in the beginning from the development side. And now I think it's being mishandled from Pugliarvi and his agent side. So we'll see. Stay tuned for this one. Uh, hopefully there's a, a resolution soon. Uh, Miko Rantanen, um, as you'll hear a little bit later when we talk with uh, Jamie Thomas, I think he's the first domino that's going to fall for those RFAs, but that's getting close too. You know, Mitch Marner, uh, Lion A, Kyle Connor, Miko Rantanen, Brock, Brock Besser, Matt Charlie McAvoy, uh, the list goes on of a lot of uh, Matthew Kachuk, a lot of uh, unrest- or restricted free agents uh, still to sign. Uh, by the way, uh, if you missed it, Connor McDavid said he's hoping to be healthy for training camp. He, of course, was hurt in the final game last year, tearing his PCL in his left knee. He has been skating, he said, for a couple of months. Uh, not sure if he'll miss part of camp. Uh, there was a uh, ridiculous article written about how he doesn't enjoy hockey yesterday. I'm not even going to give the publication or the uh, author uh, their, their uh, name. I'm not going to give their names because they don't deserve it but because it was just a and a hatchet job, but I'm not, I'm not really worried about McDavid. Listen, it's never good to pull toward tear ligaments in your knee, but if you are the PCL is what you want to do. Like I said, it's not never good, but it's the, I think it's the, you know, and talking to a few people in the medical field uh, that I know, I think it's uh, the easiest uh, to recover from uh, as compared to uh, the other two. So I'm not worried about McDavid. Uh, he's the least, the last thing you need to worry about. Um, you know, may, may, it might, maybe it take us from an extra uh, week, uh, or so what, once the season starts, if he doesn't uh, get out there for the start of training camp uh, to be up to full speed, but he'll more than make up for it. Uh, he is uh, certainly uh, not anything to be concerned about uh, in, in from every all the reports when it comes to the Edmonton Oilers. And uh, bad week if your name was uh, Andrew, uh, or, or good week if you're Andrew Luck because you get what you want. But Andrew Harris, two-game suspension for a positive steroid test. Of course, the uh, running back for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. It's interesting. This is the third time he was tested this year. He was tested in March. Then he was tested July 2nd. And then 10 days later, he fails. And he's denying that he intentionally took anything illegal and says the clean test on July 2nd proves this, saying that this stuff stays in your system and it wouldn't be out, you know, it wouldn't be cleared out 10 days later or, or, or from if he took that and got a clean test, it would still be um, in the system. And... Yeah, I, 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 I can see that from one point saying, listen, if I took this, it would have been in my system on whatever day um, because you're not going to take uh, start I, I, unless he just decided to start this uh, cycle or whatever they call it after uh, July 2nd, like the day after. I'm not sure because no, because it couldn't have been because they said it was trace amounts. So this, this kind of looks like a guy who is telling the truth when he's not saying it. Now, to play devil's advocate, 
He could, you, you know, he's saying uh, he didn't test positive. Well, he might not have just got caught. Maybe there's a masking agent. I That's just to play devil's advocate. But I, I'm tending to believe him with the amount of tests that he took, and it was trace amounts. So um, I, I don't know anything about steroids, so I don't know how fast they get out of your system or if you can flush them out. But uh, one thing is for sure, if you only take what the team gives you, then you can say, listen, this came from the team, it's on them. That's my opinion anyway. Obviously, professional athletes that play under uh, WADA and different codes have to be really careful about what is in their system. And, of course, Andrew Luck uh, mentioned that, retires on Saturday night. And, uh, well, there's a lot of fantasy baseball players or fantasy football players scrambling, as you'll hear Jamie Thomas talk about later, because he had Andrew Luck. And there was a lot of really bad takes of people getting mad. And shame on the uh, Indianapolis Colts fans that booed him. Not all the fans, but the ones that did boo him, um, because this is what uh, this is what happened with uh, Andrew Luck. The injuries became way too much. Listen to them: torn cartilage, concussion, torn labrum, lacerated kidney that led him to pee blood, torn abdomen, and this calf injury. So he just he just didn't have it anymore. It was too rigorous, and I don't blame him. Who wouldn't take Freedom Twenty Nine? That plan. Uh, he was the first overall pick in 2012, had a good career, was the NFL comeback player of the year last year, was unbelievable, and it just became too much. So, um, Andrew Luck, enjoy retirement, man. And for anybody that uh, is mad at Andrew Luck for retiring, how much is it really affecting your life? Hmm. What's on my mind today? <laughs> I don't know. You want answers? I don't know what the hell he wants. Let's get into things. Let's get real. This is the Myron French question of the day. I'll read you loud and clear. 10 4. All right, so the Myron French uh, question of the day is kind of on the uh, piggybacking on what I was just going with is the, uh, the booing of Andrew Luck um, when it came to him retiring you know word leaks out uh, during the game that Andrew Luck is going to retire and he wasn't playing uh, but Colt fans man they started booing him and I just I think whoever did that and I, like I said I'm not saying all fans but whoever did that I think is Bush League man like you just don't uh, you just don't do that this guy is retiring because he is in pain and you're booing him. So we're asking what fan base has the worst uh, set of fans? What team has the worst set of fans? Uh, Clara Lee's dad saying uh, Habs, Montreal Canadiens fan. And interesting, it's a buddy of mine. His dad's a Habs fan. I love that. Uh, Ken Lu saying, uh, still Toronto, which really is a Leaf City, can't support football in either CFL or NFL. Jay's attendance down big time despite core four rookie bats. I predict Raptor crowds will shrink this season too without Kawhi. Uh, Dallas Rocks Hick, Ross Hicks says, uh, remember the Chi-Chi's in Winnipeg? Went there with my first girlfriend in 92 wearing a Leafs Clark jersey. Habs were in town to play the Jets. Idiot Hab fans were actually throwing food at us during supper obnoxious about cups won well outside their lifetimes the worst uh well yeah they did win one the next year though dallas and uh i'm not sure why you're wearing a leafs jersey to a jets habs game but do what you will 
Uh, <laughs> Dallas is a good East End boy. Uh, Ian say, C says Seahawk fans who don't live in Seattle and wave 12 flags to show that all year that they became a fan. Uh, Andrew Butterfield said it's got to be Philly fans. Christopher Leafs, Canucks, Liverpool, Seahawks, Yankees. Uh, any Philadelphia team, Canucks, Leafs uh, fans. And uh, Wild West Hero says LA slash San Diego Chargers. Ooh, my buddy Connor Halley's a big Charger fan. He won't like that. Uh, Jason Mills says, my experience has been Eagles fans. I know some great ones, but my game experience there was the amount of, oh, was shocking. The amount of open homophobic slur was shocking. Um, so I'm going to go, I think it's a tie between, uh, uh, the Eagles fans because they booed Santa Claus and uh, listen, Canuck fans, I get it. People think badly of them because of those riots, but those weren't hockey fans. Those were just people looking to create as much trouble as possible. Um, so Philly fans for that. And, and I, and, and I'm not a big 12 fan. I, I, uh, the 12s annoy me. The Seahawks annoy me. Maybe it's because, uh, before all the, the great TV packages that we got, uh, all you got out West were Seahawk games. Um, but, uh, they do annoy me a uh, good football team. I want to go experience that stadium at some point, but I'm going with, uh, Philly fans and the 12s. Three, two, one, and liftoff. Let's go. Time for your top three. Liftoff and the clock has started. Roger, zero G and I feel fine. Beautiful, beautiful. All right, our top three today is uh, TV villains. Uh, who are your top three TV villains? I am uh, I'm right now uh, right in the middle of the uh, Netflix Marvel series with uh, Luke Cage, Daredevil, Jessica Jones, etc., The Punisher, which was really good. And uh, I got thinking, like, there's some really good villains out there, and uh, we're going to talk with Joaquin Gage little bit later about uh one of them so wanted to know what your top three villains of our time uh lee says negan or the governor from walking dead that's a really good one negan is was pretty devious obviously i haven't got all through like, i stopped watching the walking dead i don't know if i'll ever go back to it i stopped just as they were going to confront negan and i don't know why i did it but i just couldn't watch it anymore it had jumped the shark when they started wearing guts and gore for a second time I, I was like, okay, I'm th I think I'm done. And listen, if I was in an actual zombie apocalypse, I would definitely be doing the same thing over and over again to survive. But when you're writing about a zombie apocalypse, you've got to come up with different things. And I found The Walking Dead got stale after a while. But the, Negan, Gov Negan was probably worse than the governor, I think. Um, although the governor was creepy, man. He kept that head in the, his daughter and oh my goodness. Uh, so anyway, my top three villains, my honorable mention goes to anyone, any of the villains that the Scooby gang unmasked. But uh, who are these two? Don't you recognize them, Sheriff? Why, it's Zeb and Zeke. They were the ones that hijacked the armored car and sunk it in the swamp. Now let's see who's really behind these bandages. Dr. Najib! Here's a clue to end all clues. Take a look at our ape man. It's Carl, the stuntman. All right, so there's the Scooby gang. Uh, I love Scooby-Doo. 
Casey Kasem as uh, Shaggy. Pretty awesome. So number three for me was uh, Dr. Oliver Threadson or Bloody Face from American Horror Story. I almost went with Constance Langdon, but I watched this series out of order a little bit. I watched The Asylum first, and then I watched uh, Horror Host, the first one. So I watched season two, then season one. Uh, they're not all of them connected. Some of them are a little bit, but I found The Asylum a much scarier than I found horror. Um, now, Jessica Lang is awesome, uh, but I thought uh, Bloody Face uh, was pretty freaky in American Horror Story Asylum. Uh, number two for me is Kilgrave from Jessica Jones. Uh, and listen, this guy controls minds. He makes people murder people. He does terrible things because he has mind control. So, um, spoiler alert. I'm going to talk about Jessica Jones, and if you're not there yet, this is season one. You might want to plug your ears for a second. Spoiler alert, one, two, three. But, yeah, I was so happy when she snapped his neck. I I actually, I literally was by myself, and I cheered. Um, and I also cheered when this guy got it, and the dogs uh, took him down. It's Ramsey Bolton from Game of Thrones. Um, man, this guy did some evil stuff, terribly, terrible evil stuff to people. And I thought Joffrey was bad in Game of Thrones. This Ramsey Bolton was the most evil character in the whole show. And that show has terrible people in it. So I'm going with uh, Ramsey Bolton as my number one villain uh, of all time when it comes to TV. I'd love to hear from you uh, when it comes to top three villains. Uh, drop me a line at Duck Millard on Twitter. I use the hashtag top three. And you can get us also on Instagram at Sports and More or at Sports and More Podcast, on Facebook at Sports and More 35. You can email us sports and more pod at gmail.com and check out our website, sportsandmore.ca. All right, let's get into the interview portion of the podcast and find out a little bit more about our guest, Joaquin Gage. Time for the bio. Joaquin Gage grew up in Vancouver, playing goal and idolizing Richard Brodeur of the Canucks and Grant Fuhr of the Oilers. At the age of 13, he traveled east and played for the Notre Dame Hounds in Wilcox, Saskatchewan. In the Western Hockey League, he suited up two years in Portland and a final year with the Prince Albert Raiders. There he played with former Oiler first round pick, Steve Kelly. The Oilers drafted Gage in the fifth round in 1992. He had two different stints with the Oilers, with a year playing for the Canadian national team sandwiched in between. In 2002, he headed to Europe and spent seven years playing overseas. Retiring in 2008, he came back to Edmonton and currently lives with his wife and family. Very pleased to have in studio today former Oilers goaltender Joaquin Gage. Uh, Joaquin, thanks very much for joining me. Ah, oh, thanks, buddy. This is great. I love the studio. You like this? Uh, <laughs> yeah, you like that? yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, we got to get uh, a Gage jersey yeah, up here. No, maybe, I... maybe uh, there is a little uh, kind of a connection to you in this jersey in this room, as there's a Notre Dame Hounds jersey. Uh, yeah. We'll get to that, but you went there. I. Uh, that's the first thing I noticed. Actually, I don't think I still have mine. I think I. Uh, I signed it and gave it away to someone, but yeah, those uh, that jersey brings back a ton of memories. That's for sure. I used to growing up in Brandon, uh, we had this thing called the Tournament of Champions every year, and Notre Dame would come play, and I thought it was the coolest thing ever that there was a school that you could go to and play hockey. Oh, uh, we 
we felt so badass going into places. <laughs> well, you know, you played for the hounds, you know, the hounds are coming. And we were, I remember my first year there, it was AAA Bantam, but in that particular time in Saskatchewan, they didn't have a Bantam AAA division. So mm-hmm. we actually played midget AA in the South Saskatchewan League. So we were playing against guys that were a lot older. And then, of course, we played against our own midget AA team from Notre Dame. That's and that, right. that was a... That was great because our uh, our home rink it would just the whole school would come out and cheer in that and it would be awesome. It's so. a it's an interesting uh, rink for sure. The history that's there. Do you remember the motto? Um, Struggle and emerge. Lucter and emergo. Lucter and emergo. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's all in there. <laughs> I, I I worked uh, for a long time with John Saxmith at Global oh, no Television way. and a former Hound uh, yeah. himself. So him and I we used to have uh, conversations about the Hounds because you know I had friends that. Uh, would attend. Uh, I've, I've known people in, in the last couple of years that uh, you know had uh, worked there and things like that. And I just found it really fascinating that this existed and in the middle of kind of nowhere. Like, and that's designed. Uh, you know, there, I have you know heard fairy stories of sneaking out to get to Regina and things <laughs> yeah. like that. But uh, do you ever watch the movie? Um, yeah, I watched the uh, the old one where yeah. they, it was, that was back in the day. The black with and the, white yeah, one, yeah, the yeah. shacks and yeah. stuff like that. But it was. It wasn't that bad when I was there. I'm not that old, but uh, no, it was a, it was pretty close. <laughs> Would you guys ever sneak out to Regina? Um, I got busted once. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I was just it's a, a dumb it, kid. It's just, a tough haul, though. It's like four, 40 minutes, right? You got to get to well, Regina. I think yeah. Some someone, <laughs> some girls came out, and we thought we'd jump in the car with them, and of course, everyone saw us leave. You yeah. know, it's not yeah. like we thought we were being real sneaky. <laughs> And then we came back past curfew, and then if you got busted doing something, you had to you had to pay the price. So you were, uh, oh gosh, I forget the name of what it was called, but basically you had to do community service. That's right. And yeah. depending on the severity of how uh, how bad it was, you got so many hours. And I think I think we had like 120 hours of community service. So that was a that was a rough go. So after school, just straight to kitchen, cleaning <laughs> toilets. The sweeping streets, it was terrible. Wow. Uh, I want to get back to uh, your career uh, throughout this interview, but uh, let's start with, first of all, on Twitter, um, Joaquin Gage 31 old goalie. Uh, that's that's your handle. Yeah, no, I I made that account a long time ago. I thought, oh, old goalie, and it wasn't taken. So I think I tried a few other things, and they were all taken, so that worked out for me. <laughs> Do you still uh, you still go out in some alumni events and things like that? I, yeah, I was actually just up in Slave Lake uh, nice. Saturday with, uh, with a bunch of former uh, Hall of Famers, actually. So um, that was a lot of fun, Slave Lake tournament, the uh, icebreaker. It's awesome. Oh, I've heard yeah. about that one. Um, okay, let's let's focus on the, the Oilers of right now. Um Particularly at the position you played for this team, uh, Mike Smith, Miko Koskinen. A lot was made of Miko Koskinen last year and the contract that he was given. Um, f- the way I look at it is the Oilers have said, "Listen, we can't. We're not getting out of this contract, but we're going to give you a chance to live up to this contract." But then there's this Mike Smith guy here who's going to try to steal starts away from you. How, do you see it that way, or how do you view this situation? Um, I I see it. I, I don't think you can have a number one in Edmonton. You need a, I shouldn't say that, maybe 1A, 1B, just because the I think the travel takes a toll on, on you at this point. Um, playing in Edmonton is a lot different than playing, say, on, on the East Coast in Boston or Washington, right? Um, you go on road trips, you're gone for a long time. The flights are long to get to places. Um, 
travel. I know you're taking care of your, your nice sure. hotels and everything's good. But uh, I mean, when I played on Team Canada, I remember our trainers always telling us, drink water, drink water. And they were telling us, you lose like a pint of water for every hour on a plane. So just, mm. just imagine, you know, you're at a high stress, high level of performance playing a game and you got to do the same thing the next night right and that uh i know it's it's back to back and everyone says no they should be able to do this but then you're flying a couple hours right you're losing even more more fluids you get in late your system for sleep is a little bit off off kilter and uh i really think you need two guys that can play and um I was always the kind of guy I, I like to play a lot. That's the only way I could I could get into a rhythm. Mm-hmm. Um, some people don't like that competition too, right? They they want to know that no matter what happens in that game, they're back. They're in. back in, you know. And and there is a certain sense of comfort with that. But um, I, just with his performance last year, the the Oilers need need someone else who can who can get in there and play at least a few more games. It's uh, it. As we saw with St. Louis, all they needed was a goalie, you know. And unfortunately, I think one of the things that killed Shirelli was he thought he was in a position where his goaltending was sorted out, and it wasn't. No. And we saw what a healthy and a good Cam Talbot could have could do with Edmonton. He brought them to the playoffs, basically. You know, he was a. But they also rode him seventy three games that year. He looked. I, I yeah. Was. I like, felt he looked a little bit tired in the in the Anaheim and series. That you probably. Know? <clears throat> I, you know. Do you think that fatigue bleeds into the next year too? Um. Or do you think the summer you get rejuvenated? Because he took. You know. He had a, a, yeah. a step back. And listen, I, I thought Cam Talbot was uh, was awesome that yeah. that year that he was in the playoffs. I don't think he was the problem in Edmonton. I think he was part of the problem, but a lot of people dumped everything on him. Yeah. He didn't play well. Right. But he I thought he was chasing his game from the year before a lot cuz okay. I I would see him play and he looked quite technical at times trying to find his game again and then I thought his best games were when he looked like, you know what, I'm just going to go play. I'm not going to be thinking about this 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 this. And he became kind of robotic, I think, in his movements a little bit that next year. But I just, I'm just going on by what how I feel sure, and how yeah, yeah. how that the having the year before and basically being the fourth best goalie in the world <laughs> at that point. Um, and you want to be the best, right? You want to have the repeat performance. You want to do even better than the year before. And uh, it it just didn't happen for him last year. Um, I think Oilers fans started a drinking game. When either a goal went in, glove side on Koskinen, or the first shot of the game went in. Uh, that happened. It seemed to happen a lot. Um, you know, for a guy who is that big, and I don't know how you feel. I, I played goal growing up as well, um, and, and my crutch was going down on my in the mm-hmm. butterfly. Yep. Do you not see think that's a crutch for goaltenders today? I like When I see a guy going down on his knee in the reverse VH or, or the VH, whatever you want to go with, and the puck is in the corner, I think that's an issue. I Well, I was just at my buddy's, uh, Ian Gordon's goaltending school, helping out young goalies, and Ian and I played against each other a lot, in junior and also in Europe. And we talk about the VH and the reverse VH, and I, it drives me crazy, too. I can see the, the benefits of using sure, it in certain definitely. situations. In situational. But 
for a goalie to go into it when the puck's in the corner and the guy's on his backhand, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Like, goalies, that's why I think we see so many sharp angle goals go well, in. Guys now. are guys are trying it, of right? course. Sidney Crosby, you, the, you watch him when he if he comes out on the corner on his even on his backhand, it doesn't really matter. But he's looking at where the goalie is and if he can bang it off his head, right? And that's, that's right. Yeah, that's going to be a new move for guys. I don't. With the efficiency of movement with goalies now getting into position, how they act, being down, like if a guy's behind the net, I tell these young goalies all the time, if the guy has the puck behind the net and he passes out in front, he's passing for a reason. Mm-hmm. It's because there's a guy out there that he wants to take the shot and try to score. And being on your knees, um, depending on where those players are, I can see if it's maybe a slam dunk play and he's close and it's uh, you want to be able to cover as much of the lower part of the net as possible. But if... You have to be aware of where all the shooters are. And if they're outside the tops of the circles or out where I can get to on my feet and get set, it's just, it's another step of movement to get to that point to get set to stop that puck. And I don't find it very effective. I think there was a goal uh, on Koskinen last year where it was against St. Louis. I forget who scored it, but he came out on his backhand. And right then I was like, "What? why is he on his knees? And he was able to pull it to his forehand so he was on his off wind and put it far side shelf. And that was, I was like, oh my gosh, because he was on his knees. Mm-hmm. He just, but if he was just stood there and squared up, it would have just hit him, right? But it's, I think it's a comfort thing for sure. I, I Yeah, I think it, it totally is. So do you, who do you think ends up playing more games this year? If you had to guess, do you think it's going to be Koskinen or Mike Smith? I think it'll be even, to tell you the truth. Yeah. It's, uh, I think they'll, uh, they're they're gonna share the net for the most part, I think. Okay. Well, it, I mean, it depends on how they play. Like, I know yeah. Smith had a he didn't have a great regular season last year, mm-hmm. right? With with a pretty solid decor, and um, he's gonna have to do a lot more work, I think, with with the Oilers, just mm-hmm. the, with the amount they're gonna give up. But um, they're the I think uh, they get they need to roll with the two. So I've talked a lot about Miko Koskinen and getting beat up high and his struggles. Um, but what do, what do you like about Miko Koskinen? When you watch Miko Koskinen, what are the things that you say, yeah, I, I like this about him? Let's let's maybe talk, instead of talking about all the negatives with him, which we have done a lot and in my instance, and a lot of people have, the glove hand is one of them, but what are his strengths? Um, I liked his body language bouncing back from a, from a, a bad game. You know, and it, it didn't always work out, but it seemed like he was always in a good uh, good space starting the game. Like, he, he seemed into it. I know those first shots sometimes went in, but he's, he, he just seemed like he could shrug it off quite well. Um, that's the only thing I really noticed that I, I really liked about him was his, uh, his tenacity the next game, even mm-hmm. after a bad start. And I you could see that after Talbot left, but he, he looked... Like he was able to push it, uh, push it to the side after after a rough outing the night before. This is a team that did not have a lot of options in this off season because of uh, the the corner that they were painted in uh, cap wise by the former GM. Um, but the work that Ken Holland did get done, especially bringing in a guy who might be able to play in your top six for a guy who never <laughs> was going to play in your top six again. I think that just makes this this summer of Ken Holland, uh, he gets a passing grade for me just for, for that move alone. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think, like, Smith's an older go- goalie, but I think that's a good move. <clears throat> Excuse me. There was a, and 
yeah, James Neal, it's a significant upgrade, you know. Um, unfortunately, I don't think Luch could, could play in the top six. Nope. He's a he's a more of a role player and and uh, you know he had a he had a rough he had a rough year last year with father passing away and a lot of stuff off the ice and so hopefully for him he can uh, sometimes a fresh start we always say that it's sometimes what you need but um, no I'm I'm optimistic I'm very optimistic of the Oilers this year I mean of course I'm a goalie guy but I think if they can get Better than average goalie, great goaltending. They'll they'll do a lot better. It'll just it it great goaltending covers up a lot of holes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it, it does. Uh, <laughs> uh, they always say, uh, uh, "Show me a successful coach, and I'll show you a, a great goalie." Right? But it, it does so much for your team. Like I remember when I you know certain years when I was just I was playing really well, you know, and the guys just they played so much looser and in front of me not not in a bad way but they mm. were just con they were confident mm-hmm. because now they could They're my demon my demon could like make that pass with a little bit more confidence or maybe have the uh the confidence to look someone off and and look for something better mm-hmm. you know and um everyone because when you're playing bad you know and i guarantee it when you when that first shot goes in and if it's a bad one a lot of guys look over to the bench, and you could see by the end of the year, most of the Oilers were hanging their heads. Well, you know, it's uh, just... yeah, I've talked to uh, Jason Strudwick and Matt Cassian, who both did the post-game shows with me in the past and pre-game shows, about when that goal goes in and there's just that sag on the bench. And, you know, if if you're not playing, if, if you're the backup goalie on the bench, you feel it. And guys start looking at you. It's like, it's not my call, yeah. but the bench does, yeah. they say, sag. If it, Especially if it it's happening more often or if it's a bad goal because they're, listen, you know, maybe they're thinking, we don't score a lot of goals as it is. Now we got to work even harder. And unfortunately, one of the issues of playing in Edmonton is the fans are a little bit more knowledgeable than, say, somewhere down south. Mm-hmm. And um, I find that in American cities, they'll cheer basically for anything, you know, so the even if the team gets scored, and there's still some buzz, and they they might be mad or something, but it seems in Edmonton, if the other team scores, the the rink you could hear a pin drop, and that's when you hear the comments and stuff, right? So, so I want to ask you this as a uh, former professional athlete that did play in Edmonton and did see um, what it's like and 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 see it today. There's a notion out there that player X doesn't want to come to Edmonton because the fans and the media are too hard. My argument to that is go to Montreal where you get it in both languages. Go to Toronto, <laughs> go to Winnipeg, go, to, you know, like I don't think there's a Canadian city that is easy to play in when you're struggling. No. I, like, do you yeah. think Edmonton is worse off than other cities? And be honest. It's it's not good, but I don't think it's the worst by any means. I if you But do uh, you think it it, do you think fan the 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 uh, portrayal of the fan base and that the media is hard on players keeps guys from signing in Edmonton? Like do 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 players look at that? Oh yeah, for sure they would. I mean, I would. Just imagine going to a, a job. Okay, so I I go here. Um, my family, my kids might hear it at school. Sure. You know? Okay. Um, my wife goes to the supermarket and someone says something to her. Um, I'm pumping gas and people are yelling at me. Okay. Um, just, you're almost with social media now, like back when I, when I played, I mean, not many people knew my face, but 
I, I could go anywhere. You know, if I was rolling with a couple of the guys, yeah, then Doug then Wade couldn't. Doug Wade couldn't, right? Um, but Billy Guerin couldn't. So the mm. higher profile guys. So, but say in Arizona or Florida, yeah, even even parts of like in California where you know it's hockey's still popular, but not nearly as popular yeah. as football, baseball, basketball. Yeah, you can you can you can go with a certain bit of anonymity around mm. around the city, which I I like. Some guys love the attention. You know, they, they thrive on it. They want to be recognized. And Aaron so, wanted to be on Broadway, right? Yeah. So he, yeah, there's people that like that kind of stuff. George, George loved everyone knowing who he was, right? He mm-hmm. would roll around all the time and stuff. But um, Hard to miss that guy. Yeah, right? he's, he's six. He sticks yeah. out. But uh, no, I, I, I feel bad for some of them, especially I remember even having a bad game. I was, uh, we, uh, we lost. And I remember Cleary and I, uh, Dan Cleary, we we go. Oh, we can't we can't go for something. We just got in the car, went to Subway, grabbed two subs, and went home. Right, just because we didn't want didn't want to be in a restaurant, didn't want to be anyone to see us. Oh yeah, the Oilers are out. You know, having dinner in a nice restaurant. You just didn't mm-hmm. want that stuff. And unfortunately, I think that happens. And people are snapping pictures, and you know, everyone's seeing this stuff, and it just it makes it a little bit tougher for people. Mm-hmm. I think. That's unfortunate because I, I, yeah, I, I, I think, listen, I've never been in that uh, professional athlete situation. I think some of that comes with the territory and the job though, right? Yeah. Do, you, do, you, do you, yeah, you agree with you, that? Not, you, not that you should ever be bothered when you're having dinner with your family. Listen, I saw Cam Talbot having lunch the other day. Mm-hmm. I just walked on the way out whenever and said, hey, mm-hmm. thanks for being a professional when we had to deal with you. And then I left. Yeah. I didn't ask for an autograph. I wasn't taking pictures. Uh, but I think you should be allowed to have your privacy, but at some point you real, you know, it's, it's part of the job. Yeah. Like, well, here I became pretty good friends with Tommy Salo when I played here. Right. Okay. And then he had the unfortunate glove save in the Olympics, right? Off the head. Yeah. And is, if you, after that goal went in, I'd say his, his play started sure. to deteriorate from there. But, um, I went and played in Sweden and got to know him a little bit even better. I stayed at his house and stuff mm. and he, uh, we, we got talking and he, that after that goal, it crushed him because his family was getting mm. um, like his, his sister's kids were getting harassed at That's school. That's so over the line. Yeah. You know, and, and here people were, you know, saying, and it just, he, he, uh, he was cold as ice on, on the ice, but off the ice, he, you know, it, it you could see it affect him. Right. So that's yeah. going to affect, and no matter yeah. the coolest person in the world, right. You're it, you, when your family starts getting affected, like I think you as a player, some guy comes up to you when you're pumping gas and say, ah, oh, did you let in that third yeah. goal last night? You're like, all right, well, it's my yeah. job. It's his yeah. opinion. Somebody goes to your kid or your wife. They had nothing to do with that. That yeah. is totally over the line. And you know what, if that's, you know, and, I'm not saying that's the entire fan base, yeah. but if there is a portion of that fan base, be better. Yeah, no, that, well, remember that uh, video with the guy yelling at Connor yeah. with his parents, you know. Just ridiculous. I, I could deal with it. Yeah. I play a bad game. Someone wants to yell at me and say I, was, I sucked. Yeah. Sure, I'll, I'll take that. That's not a big deal. But if I'm with my, my kids and mm. stuff and they're yelling and your kids are, why are you, why are they yelling at you, Dad? That's so or, stupid. Yeah, no, it's a. Uh, Pick, pick your spots. That's I right. Think, cause, uh, Complain play- on social media. Um, you know, this this guy let in this goal. Uh, go on a message board or whatever. I don't I mean, know. I, I mean, I don't talk to many of the Oilers now, but I'm, I'd 
be very interested to hear what they candidly say about about playing here and if because I think for the most part they can all, they can all take it, but it's the uh, the, uh, the the vocal side, minority, yeah, that and, the, uh, and the, yeah, it might be a little bit tough. Yeah. Do, so, do you think do you think that's unique to Edmonton? No, but uh, that's just one of the one of the mm-hmm. things I think go into the decision process of playing here, right? Mm-hmm. I think the, the location the, doesn't help. Either, the, it doesn't help. You know, I mean, it's you're making American dollars in Canada, you know, with a pretty good uh, lifestyle here and the price of living here compared to say True. Vancouver, Montreal, Toronto, you get a lot more bang for your buck, right? True. Yeah. That would go into it, but um I mean, I liked playing in the winter. I I I like mm-hmm. snow on the ground because the main reason was when playoffs rolled around and everything started becoming spring and a little bit warmer and you didn't have to break out the wool suit and the <laughs> jacket and toque and gloves. It yeah. just you you knew you were in playoffs because the the weather was changing. It was yeah. light. You were going to the rink and the light was out. You know the sun was still up. So that that's there was that change of season that made you know what to, what what type of year it was. And right. that, and everyone remembers how how it was in the playoff run because I think the weather's a big part of it. You're playing in Florida. It's like that all the time. Yeah. You know. The only thing that changes is probably the ice gets a little worse. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> no kidding. Eh? The humidity more. Yeah. Um. Who do you think is the best goalie in the NHL? Oh, geez. Who did it? Well, Bennington, I guess, you'd have to go th- with right now. He was unbelievable. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Like, you look at the, like that whole story of uh, them being in last in January and then they hear Gloria during that NFL game. Like that would be, I can't imagine what that would be like as a movie scene. That oh. scene in that bar. Because listen, you know, Teams gel in strange ways sometimes, yeah. don't they? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I the the sad thing about it because he's I think he's six one. I I don't think you're gonna see that type of goalie much anymore. Mm-hmm. Like he's small. He's small, and he can move, and he's acrobatic. He would have been he, tall in like the '80s and early '90s. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, most of these pro scouts, they're only look. They won't look at a guy unless he's six three. Mm-hmm. You know, and if that. So we're going to go through a kind of a, a few years here. I think we're we're not going to see a Jonathan Quick. We're not going to see a Bennington. We're not going to see a Mark Andre Fleury. You know, we're just going to see these big, huge guys. And um, I sometimes think- size outweighs athleticism in these big guys. And and you look at a goalie like Mark Andre Fleury, who's one of the most athletic goalies out there. And he's six one. It's not like he's tiny. Yeah, he's not five eight. No, yeah. yeah. But uh, I remember reading a thing. A guy did a study on, it, they put Flurry next to Bishop in a game and how the movement was. And I think Flurry had to to move the way to get to the spots. He had to exert himself like 30 or 35 more percent than, mm-hmm. than Ben Bishop did because he's just so big. But yeah, I, I don't I don't agree with a goalie has to be 6'3 to play in the NHL. I think That's, a goalie just has to be good. That'd be yeah. like saying a guy like Johnny Gaudreau is too small to play forward it's, in the nor- in the Pacific Division. It's absolutely ridiculous. And I thought that. I, yeah. I, I, I vividly remember the episode of the Pipeline Show where Guy Flaming and I were laughing at Johnny Gaudreau going to be able to play in the NHL. Yeah. We were laughing saying he's going to play in the AHL for however long and he's too small. Like literally... We were two ignorant Edmonton radio yeah. guys laughing at this, yeah. and he's made us eat our words yeah. every every single season. Um, did you ever have a, a 
not a Gloria moment, but you ever have on a team that, uh, like, I always love hearing about bonding stories and, and, you know, how a team came together. Do you ever have a really great team that had that kind of magic moment? Um, yeah, one comes to mind right now. There's probably more, but I remember I played with Team Canada for a year. <clears throat> and uh, In, like, the early 90s? This was 99. Okay, so it was the early last, 90s. Okay. Yeah, it was the last year that the they had a men's traveling team. Right. So we played the Spengler and the Zvestia. Jason Spezza played, like, nine games on that team. Yeah, he yeah. came. He was my roommate. Oh, okay, for cool. The past, for the last two weeks of the year there. Cool. He joined us in uh, Ontario. But uh, we... Uh, because we were all minor league guys, you mm. know, and we'd, I'd played, in the, a lot of guys had a few handful of games in the NHL, you know, minors, and I don't think a lot of people, what they understand is the life in the American Hockey League is a lot, it's really difficult. You know, it's a revolving door around people. Guys are getting called up. Guys are getting sent down. It's a sweatshop hockey league with three games in two and a half days half the on time. On buses. On buses. And Bad food. <laughs> yeah, well, it's good food, but it's all deep fried. Yeah, that's what I mean, but like, that's not <laughs> yeah. the healthiest food yeah. for you. Yeah. I don't know who I was talking to the other day. We were talking about the list you'd get, and you're, you're getting calzones and fries <laughs> and stuff. Not the best for after a game. But uh, um, on that Team Canada team, we we most of us were finally, we were on a team for that year. We were all going to be there, but it didn't really click in our minds because most of us were bouncing around American league teams and are we going to get called up? Are we going to go somewhere else? And we had, uh, I think we played, uh, we played a game in, in Moscow and we, we just got crushed and everyone was complaining. Oh, I didn't play. I didn't get a point this and this and this. And, uh, one of, we all sat down and said, look, we're all here for a year. You know, the only way we get to where we want to be is if we play well. And that might not be NHL, but it could be somewhere playing in Europe. Could be back home. Could be over here. Could be over there. So, as long as we're all on the same page, and we all want to succeed and do well, mm -hmm. we're all gonna reap the benefits. And right then, it even clicked with me. I go, oh my gosh, yeah, I don't have to worry about going. So I'm here. So let's focus on being. And it was the most fun we've had as a team. And I mean, it was a unique situation because. We were based out of Calgary. We'd, we'd practice from Monday to Saturday with Sundays off. So, and then we'd usually go on a road trip. Mm -hmm. But that Saturday night, we'd always, the whole team hit Cowboys, beers, dancing. Bond. And yeah. And uh, watch the hockey games. Yeah. And, yeah. So we were, that was the probably the closest knit team I've ever played on. Professional and, and that's the, the great <clears throat> thing. Like you look at that Blues team, last place, they have that moment, they go on that run. I think if you look at uh, Craig Button and I were talking during the Stanley Cup Finals um, about, right, it was right before Game 7, I think, um, Jordan Bennington's calendar year, when you just look, because he mm -hmm. got called up in January or whatever it was, I think he won like 40 games or something like yeah. that. Yeah, ridiculous. Like, it's amazing what one player can do to, to solidify something. He was, I really enjoyed watching that. That was just yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, it, it really was. It was a good, both goaltenders in that series yeah. uh, were, you know, and, and Tuka Rask is one of, uh, uh, a, in a tr just a tremendous goalie. I've always, I've always liked him. I, I know that, like, he gets a, he gets a rough ride in, in Boston too. So. Yeah, he's got like, uh, he's, he's shown his temper a few times yeah, and I yeah. think, uh, but you know what, uh, Ron Hextall Rode yeah. that to a con smite. I, Billy I guess, Smith led yeah. a dynasty in the Islanders. Yeah, yeah. Um, you seem like a pretty calm guy. Uh, were you like this when you played? No, 
as soon as I got older too, I got a little more, uh, but I played better when I was more aggressive. And, okay. and so I, I liked battling a li- little bit more. I wasn't a big trash talker or anything like that, but I liked to battle and, and stuff. And, and maybe if someone got in my face, I would, I would get in theirs too. Yeah. Who did you, uh, who's your favorite goalie growing up? Richard oh. Berder? Would it be, uh, oh, Kirk well, it was, uh, well, it was Grant Fuhrer. Okay. But, um, I did love, uh, Richard Berder. Yeah. Was, I just, a Vancouver yeah, guy, right? No, he was, uh, and I remember, um, cause I think, well, Glenn Hanlon and Richard Berder were there, right? So right. I remember when Glenn Hanlon would go in and you'd hear this, oh, <laughs> you know, when they announced the goalies yeah. for that game and stuff. But uh, yeah, Richard was, uh, he was something else. He yeah. was great to watch. I love those Vs. <laughs> I love the V jerseys. I know. Uh, not a lot of people do, but I, I, I like those. They're they're pretty bad, but they, they were the Canucks, you know? That's the jersey I grew up with. And I... I just hated the Oilers too. Really? I, oh, I couldn't stand them. Because they beat the Canucks all the time. But in the worst way yeah. possible. It would be like 5 1 for the Canucks going into the third, you know? <laughs> and you'd just be so happy because they're beating the, the, the perennial dynasty. Yeah. And then Gretz would come out and be double shifting. And before you know it, it was 7 5. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I, you know. I always felt bad for the Winnipeg Jets because they had some really good teams. Like Dale Howarchuk was a phenomenal player, yeah. but they were in the same division as the Oilers and the Flames, which during the 80s was dominated by, it was either the Oilers or the Flames that came out of that division right up until 1990. Maybe it's because I grew up with it, but I'm, I I love the dynasty aspect of sports. Yeah. You know, I, I, I cheer for the Pats because I just love the fact that they sure. they're, they're, they win championships. I think that's great. I love Roger Federer, you know, just because so many championships. and and uh, But look at the NBA at that point, too. I mean, all those teams were so great. Utah, uh, Indiana Pacers, the, uh, the Knicks, but they ran mm-hmm. into MJ, you yep. know, and they just, he was, no one was going to beat him. Yeah. And I, I loved, I loved that fact that, uh, and teams stayed together too. Sure. You yeah. know, it wasn't the free agency wasn't. Yeah. What it was today, I, yeah. I, I liked, I really, I watched a lot of NBA basketball at that point, but I loved the idea of going to a college, getting drafted by your team, going to that team <clears throat> and making them successful. Mm-hmm. I thought that that's why I, I always envisioned my my career going that way. Yeah, I was uh, I was a, a Moog fan growing up. I did not like Grant Fear. You know why? Because <laughs> every time I went to Winnipeg to watch the Oilers play the Jets, Grant Fear would play. Oh, <laughs> so as a kid, I did not like Grant Fear because he played in, in place. I never got and and then I didn't like Reggie Lemlin because every time I'd go oh, watch yeah. Boston, yeah. I didn't get to watch Moog play until Dallas. <laughs> oh, really? I'm like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> like I've gone like my whole life here, and so I finally. But Grant Fear for you obviously was somebody to look up to. Um, you know, person of color and and a guy that was having that much success was that uh, oh. was that f- the the thing for you? Yeah, and the everything the the colors, the mask, the DNR, yeah, the the DNR pads. Like yeah. I remember my first DNR set. Oh, I I slept with those things. <laughs> they were on, the greatest, you know? weren't they? I was. They were curved. Oh, to your curved. Knee. Oh, they were unbelievable. It took me years to. They're probably still not broken in, but they. <laughs> It was just it. It was the golden age of hockey back then. That was that was just great. I loved it. Yeah, and uh, you know what? It's it's amazing when you look back. Um, the one thing the Edmonton Oilers have had at different times is sensational goaltending, right? Like 
the dynasty years, and then uh, you know Cujo comes in, and uh, reason why I never played. <laughs> <That's> right, <yeah. laughs> like my when I was first with Edmonton, it was Ranford, and arguably top five goalies in the world at that point. And as soon as his <clears throat> play, I mean, a lot of it was to do with the team. I think sure, but yeah. When his play started to deteriorate, and not so much deteriorate, but his style of play just didn't fit with how the Oilers were playing. Who do they go get? They go get Cujo, yeah. right? Like. He was, and I remember watching him in practice, and he used his hands to, to, to stop everything. I'm diving post to post trying to stop stuff, and he's barely moving, you know? And <clears throat> then again, it, my career with Edmonton is so weird because I played 95, 96, I think it was, and then re-signed in 2001, and then I roll back into town, and Tommy Sallow is one of the best goalies in the world at that point. He was phenomenal, like... Um, I was just, uh, like I said, I was up in Slave Lake and Ethan Morrow was there and we were talking and we were actually, uh, we were talking about Tommy a little bit and, uh, Ethan said, well, yeah, he was, he was probably our best player for two years. You know, we did have weight, we had Garen, but he was probably our best, our best mm -hmm. player every night for sure. So tough to get in. Mac T actually told me one time, he's, he said, uh, uh, Joaquin, I'd like to put you in there, but. It's so hard to take your best player out of the game. How do you not? How do you not play with your best? player? And at the time, you're like, maybe you, maybe you're angry, but that you also understand it a little bit now. I do, but I'll let you in on a little secret. No one wants to be back. Well, of okay? course, yeah, yeah, exactly. No one goes, oh, I'm going to be a really good backup. Nobody no. dreams of being the backup. When yeah. I signed with Edmonton again, I was actually negotiating with the Capitals too, and but the only reason I didn't pick the Capitals is because they had. Kolzig, um, there was another. Byron Defoe? No, Bizey was gone. Um, but they had like three good minor league goalies too. Oh, okay. So they had a log jam. So I would have uh, the, the road to playing. And Edmonton, they just had Tommy, I think. Like Passmore had left and they had a couple young guys signed, some mm -hmm. college guys that I'd never heard of. So it was it looked like, and I had way more pro experience. They were just coming out of college. So I thought my best chance of becoming a starter in the NHL was to come here and, and kick Tommy to the curb. <laughs> Your time with the Oilers uh, coincided a lot with Doug Waite's time uh, with the Oilers. A lot of the time you were here, he was here. And then I think your last year with the Oilers that was, was his, his, his last his year. Last year. Um, what was, uh, like, he, he seemed like a guy that, you know, was a really good teammate. And also, you know, could do great things on the ice as well. Uh, it was, you know, he was, you, when you talk about Tommy Sallow being the best player, Doug Waite was pretty close too. Everyone knows, like, I mean, it, everyone's heard it before, but we know what a talent and phenomenal hockey player that Doug Waite was. He was a better person than a, than a hockey player by far. I remember um, when I first got called up and he kind of took me under his wing and he hung out with me and... Um, I remember we went to a, I think it was a Trappers game at that point. Mm -hmm. At the end of the season, he goes, hey, Joaquin, you want to come to see him? And it it seems, yeah, sure, Dougie, I'll, I'll come with you. But he treated me like a peer, you know, and I, I was always in awe of him, basically. And then I remember when I came back here in 2001 and uh, we were, it was training camp and I was on the ice and I think Dougie was on after me, but he was standing on the boards on the side behind the glass. And I remember skating over and he was pounding on the glass and he was like giving me the thumbs up, like, welcome back. And that, I was, I, that made me feel so good. You know, that was a, that was a close knit team. It was, uh, 
it was a different time because sometimes we still flew commercial. And so being in Edmonton, a lot of times we'd spend the night in the, in the town that we, uh, that we were playing in. Right. And I remember, I think it was Columbus. We went out to dinner. It was Bill Guerin and Jason Smith and Ryan Smith and Doug Waite, you know, and we're all sitting and I asked Dougie, I go, cause I remember the time before I go, why are Edmonton teams so close? Because I'd been to another couple of pro camps, you know, mm. and uh, I remember I went to the Capitals camp the year after they went to the finals against Detroit. And it seemed like everyone hated each other in that. And I just didn't, I was like, oh, this is weird. And Dougie and uh, said, because we stay over and we'd fly commercial. And uh, he said that was one of the big. Um, kind of forced you to get to hang out yeah, together. Yeah, we, we hung out and we, we uh, whether in the hotel or going going around the city and stuff. And uh, we all hung out. Like it was, it was, it was a really close knit team. And then, uh, unfortunately, like nine eleven happens, and then mm. everyone starts going commercial, and they're you know there's not as much. I don't think there's as much bonding time anymore, and that's back then. That's all like the birth of cell phones too. Sure, right? yeah, so, yeah. I mean, I you look at kids now; it's uh, it's screen time. It's uh, they. That's how. I mean, I think <laughs> I was talking to a few people in in uh, the coach major junior teams and. They, they think they text in the dressing room, you know, <laughs> but they don't speak, but they'll text their buddy across the room. Like teammates. <clears throat> teammates. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Just, yeah, it's a different. See, I'm not sure how I would feel if I'm down 4-1 as a goalie and two of the goals were jailbreak uh, two-on-os or something and some guy's texting my teammate on his yeah. phone. I think I might have a problem with that guys on their phones in the middle of the intermissions. Yeah, like, do you no. think that happens at the NHL level? No, oh, I don't think it happens. But then that should be nipped in the bud. There's a different like Like phone should be taken there. Put your phone in the basket at the start of the game, you get it at the end of the game. I don't think it happens so much during the game, but just I mean after practice, you know, oh, like okay, just, okay, just yeah, the yeah. whole being close to one yeah, another. There's I see. they just they don't I don't think they they communicate differently. Yeah. Like even my my son, he communicates differently with his friends than I, than I would. Mm-hmm. You know, he, they don't I, call anymore. No. And I mean, I would, I would go over to my friend's house unannounced, knock on the door. Hey, can play? Bobby play? Yeah. You know, that's, and I told, well, why don't you just go over? I said that to my son the other day and he goes, you don't do that. Dad. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so you're, yeah, you're, you're out to, out of touch dad. Yeah. It's just, it's a, it's a different way. And that's a, I think that's the challenge for most coaches is to, is to find that balance. Even on the planes now, probably guys, yeah. right? guys get on the plane yeah. and you know, like you, you listen to the, the Washington Capitals talk about their Stanley Cup run. What did they do? They played Mario Kart. Yeah. Like yeah. they play, and you know, the, the, here the Canucks are banning video games, which is a whole different story, or the players decided to. And then you have uh, Stanley, both teams, Vegas and uh, the, um, no, Washington, they all played video games. Yeah. Like they, they had tournaments. Now, and they did it on the plane too. Mm-hmm. Now, you, some teams that don't aren't close, they get on the plane and everybody's doing their own thing. I have, yeah. I mean, I have, don't have a problem with video games if, if, as long as you perform, I don't think, I mean, mm-hmm. you don't want guys sitting out at the bar drinking till five in the morning, but you don't want guys playing Call of Duty till five in the morning too, right? So right. there's a, there's, everything's in moderation. Balance, right? Yeah, you just need balance. It was the best of times. You're the best. It was the worst of times. <laughs> this is best or worst. <laughs> All right, in best or worst today, I'm going with the uh, the best year of partying. And 
might sound strange, but it was uh, kind of a, not that I didn't party after this year, but uh, this is the kind of my last uh, year of not really caring. And um, I had a, a me, um, minimum wage job. I didn't have a whole lot of pressures of uh, getting great grades and getting a you know perfect career and things like that. I, I lived in Winnipeg with two of my really good friends. And um, the reason I'm, this memory came up to me is this Gretzky poster that I have. I, I you know, you'll see Walking Gage on our Twitter account at Duck Millard posing with this Gretzky uh, Coca-Cola picture. We used to have this in uh, Winnipeg, and I was telling him the story about it, and it brought up this year. So it was 1996. We lived at 949 Ingersoll in Winnipeg, which if anybody listening in Winnipeg, um, you know that's not that great of an area north of Portage Avenue, close to the airport. Uh, myself, my buddy Jeff, and our buddy Buck moved into a uh, an okay house, and uh, it got, uh, it was, uh, ended up uh, not very good shape after, uh, because of some weird reasons. Um, anyway, we worked uh, minimum wage uh, jobs. Our buddy Buck was on EI. He worked for the railroad, so he was planning on going uh, just to back to the railroads. But I was going into broadcasting school in the fall, my buddy Jeff was going to massage therapy college in Toronto, and uh, we had a good time partying. Uh, each night, it seemed like there was a different event. Uh, we had Pong. Uh, that was kind of the video game that uh, we had, uh, and, uh, you know, like NHL 94 and whatever, our Sega or whatever. Um, and we had a really giant TV. Like, you remember those old box TVs, no remote, took like four guys to lift it? That's what we had. Um, you know, we had this... Uh, you know, we didn't have cable. We couldn't afford to have cable. So we had like a couple of channels. Uh, obviously, we would watch uh, Hockey Night in Canada and things like that. Uh, but other than that, we just uh, put Pong on sometimes. And just uh, that was the uh, entertainment watching that. Uh, our buddy Buck bought this giant pink bong. And uh, we had some cool parties with it. Um, you know, uh, a lot of times we had to hide it in the sunroom when, you know, the parents would come over and things like that. And some of the times it was just us sitting in the middle of the room listening to like Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. And uh, hearing all the uh, different animal sounds. And sometimes people would just show up on weekends randomly thinking we were having a party, which we usually were, but sometimes we weren't. Like, it was one night at my girlfriend at the time, and I were trying to have dinner, and people showed up thinking it was a party. And I was like, well, you know, I'm sorry. I got to say no to this because I, my girlfriend is here. And probably should have just went on with the party. But anyway, that's uh, another story. Uh, also, it was the final year of the Jets. And we went to Winnipeg Jet Games for like $13. Safeway used to have these $13 tickets. And uh, some of them were in the nosebleeds, and then you just walked down. But uh, we watched, uh, you know, we, I th we watched Gretzky's last game as a king before he got traded to St. Louis. Uh, you know, one of the worst games I've seen. He just seemed like he wasn't into it. And, uh, uh, but it was still Wayne Gretzky, so he still did some pretty good stuff. But you just have higher expectations when it's uh, Wayne Gretzky. But if he knows he's getting traded... I doubt he would be into it, uh, but we saw Yager play. Lemieux skipped Winnipeg that year. That was when he was uh, not as, as healthy. So uh, we watched the final game of the Jets, 1.0, uh, in that house when they lost to the Detroit Red Wings in the playoffs uh, in 1996. Uh, we also had mice. Um, our back porch and yard was uh, just, you know, our buddy our buddy Buck was, uh, he didn't really care. He would just throw stuff out, so I can't imagine what it was like. But um, the people showed up after us. Uh, that were going in and they showed up early. So we called the landlord and she's like, Hey, I'm sorry. They had nowhere to go. Don't worry. Just we'll give you your damage deposit back. That was the magic words because that house was not taken care of. But anyway, that year was the final year where I didn't really care that much about, you know, if I didn't have a job or whatever, because then I went to school, got serious 
you know, did had good grades in broadcasting college and then, you know, went into broadcasting. And then it was like, oh, my God, I have a career now. So uh, best or worst today is uh, the uh, best year of uh, partying, I guess you'd say, in Winnipeg. All right, this is Goalie Geek Out, accompanied by Pele of Sweet Bejesus, Kevin Dabbs, and uh, Christian Gutzis make up Sweet Bejesus. You can check out their uh, album on Apple Music. Policeman's Creek is their album. And this is a song about Pele Limber. So it accompanies Goalie Geek Out, where I just uh, kind of geek out on a goalie I used to like. And today I'm going with Pokey Reddick. Uh, Pokey Reddick, former Jet at Walking Gage on the show as well. And Pokey Reddick, for me, um, was awesome because he played for the Brandon Wheat Kings and I was like oh man I'm see I it was like kind of in the era where I was really starting to figure out how it all worked and I'm like I watched this guy as a Wheat King now I'm watching him as a Winnipeg Jet and they had Pokey and the bandit with Daniel Berthume uh, this is so cool I was starting to catch on how the system worked and it was so cool to see a Wheat King um, you know play in the NHL you know I, I built her Lego married a girl on our street when I grew up, and uh, then he played in the NHL, but I was too young to grasp that concept. So uh, when Pokey Reddick uh, joined the Jets, I was like, oh, this is cool. So it was neat to watch Pokey Reddick in Brandon and then Pokey Reddick in the National Hockey League with the Winnipeg Jets. And uh, yeah, I, I loved Pokey and the Bandit. Daniel Berthume was a pretty good goalie too, but to, to see a Brandon Wheat King make it like that um, was pretty cool. And that's Goalie Geek Out accompanied by Kelly. I'm the guy with a snake on his face. I love you. From SCTV to the big screen. <laughs> wow. <laughs> John Candy was a comedic legend. Buck melanoma. Molly Russell's wart. Oh, oh, that feels good. Oh, God, I'm telling you. My dogs are barking today. We now celebrate another great John Candy character. I like me. My wife likes me. My customers like me, because I'm the real article. What you see is what you get. All right, John Candy as Gus Polinski today, the polka king of the Midwest. Uh, of course, this is from Home Alone. Uh, like last week uh, when I featured Candy in uh, JFK, this is a small part as well. Uh, Gus meets up with Kevin's mom in Scranton, played by another great Canadian and SCTV alum, uh, Catherine O'Hara, and introduces himself. Allow me to introduce myself. Gus Polinski. How are you? Polka King of the Midwest. Yeah, Kate has no idea who that is. So Gus, uh, in a great uh, John Candy fashion, starts uh, throwing out song titles, and uh, yeah, Candy's perfectly at this. 
I had a few hits a few years ago. Uh, that's why, I, you know, the polka, 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 polka. No? In Twin Lakes polka, Tamahuji polka, a.k.a. Kiss Me polka, polka twist. These are songs. Yeah. Yeah, we, some fairly big hits for us, you know, in the early 70s, you know. <laughs> yeah, we sold about 623 copies of that. In Chicago? No, Sheboygan. Very big in Sheboygan. They loved it, you know. I'm sorry, did you say you could help me? Very big in Sheboygan, for sure. So they travel together in a U-Haul where the polka king, who plays the clarinet, and uh, then he and Kate have a a little heart-to-heart where he tries to cheer her up after Kate uh, asks if he ever went on vacation and left his son at home. But I did leave one at a funeral parlor once. Yeah, it was uh, was terrible, too. You know, I was all distraught and everything, you know, the wife and I. We left the... the little tyke there in the funeral parlor all day, all day. You know, when we went back at night, when you know, when we came to our senses, and there he was. Apparently, he was there alone all day with a corpse. Now, he was okay, you know. After six, seven weeks, and I came around, started talking again. Uh, but he's okay. You know, they get over it. Kids are resilient like that. Maybe we shouldn't talk about this. Well, you brought it up. I'm just, you know, trying well, to cheer I'm you up. Sorry, I did. So their small but well-played part, as usual, Candy, uh, interestingly, had appeared a year earlier with Macaulay Culkin and Uncle Buck. We'll get to that one in uh, some episode. So it's Gus Polinski, the polka king of the Midwest in Home Alone, as our great John Candy character this week. <sighs> it's fantasy time. Uh, yeah, we're talking fantasy sports. <laughs> Not deer penthouse. <laughs> But don't worry, winning your league is way better than porn. It's time now for Fantasy Fun Time with Jamie Thomas. My man. All right, all right, all right. I said we got a winner. Another edition of Fantasy Fun Time with Jamie Thomas of Jets TV. You can follow him on Twitter at Jamie Thomas TV, he is also uh, the commissioner in uh, at least two of the leagues I'm in: one football, one baseball. Used to be the commissioner in hockey, and we just had our draft, Jamie, and the whole fantasy world was shaken to its core on Saturday night when Andrew Luck announced his retirement, which obviously was massively out of the blue, and this had massive ramifications for the fantasy world, and particularly you. Yeah, it, it totally did. And, and most average draft positions in terms of quarterbacks in, in fantasy football, before training camp started, you had Andrew Luck at number three. He was at least a top five quarterback. Uh, you know, he had an amazing year, 4,000-plus yards, 30-plus touchdowns. Just an incredible season for him. Uh, I think he just, like, had at least two games and 275 yards passing in 10 of 16 starts last year. So just an incredible performance from him. And so, you know, a lot of people had him ranked up highly and I had him ranked up highly enough to uh, give up a first round pick and Jameis Winston and um, uh, Dalvin Cook. Of course, I got uh, Todd Gurley back. And we talked about this last week, but you can't tell me that, you know, even when the concerns started slipping in about his ankle and he wasn't hadn't showing up at all in training camp and hadn't played in any games. And I thought they were just keeping him safe. And it just turns out they were doing this. And even though the Colts were considering putting him in IR and paying him, uh, you know, Luck did the right thing and told them he was retiring instead of just taking the money and, and sitting on the sidelines. So you yeah, have to give him some credit in that way. But the way this affects a lot of people 
it, it, it is significant. But here's the thing. I think quarterback outside of receiver, probably one of the deepest positions in fantasy football. There's no question running back and tight end, a little bit more scarce of your quality players. So you're, you know, if you're like me, you don't have a lot of depth at that quarterback position. Yeah, you're panicking a little bit, but it was, uh, you know, you have to make the corresponding move. But there's just so many good quarterbacks uh, in fantasy football. If you're in a redraft league, you can survive. Uh, you're not going to die without Andrew Luck, even though it is a little bit uh, significant. If you're in a keeper league, a little different for us because of what you have to do to uh, get a quality quarterback. There was Kirk Cousins, Ben Roethlisberger, Tom Brady, and uh, Jacoby Brissett obviously was available as well. So you have to get one of those four guys that are available in our league, and I had to get to the first pick overall because I wasn't sure who was going to be sitting around or who was going to take uh, Ben Roethlisberger to me, who was the best remaining quarterback. So uh, it's it's a huge fantasy ramification in some ways, but it's a little bit uh, less concerning if you're the de- you know a, a team that has Ezekiel Elliott or Melvin Gordon right now, and you're waiting to find out if they're going to sign because that's a little bit making your life a little bit more difficult next year or this year. Well, yeah, it, it, you can at least say that. Uh... You know, Andrew Luck did this now instead of week three, and then you are totally uh, hooped in that situation, whereas you might be waiting till week three for Elliott or or Gordon or some of these guys to get back in. Just as an aside, we're talking about some of the worst fan bases out there in our question of the day today. How bad do Colts fans look? Now, now, Joaquin Gage was on this program, and he said it was just an emotional moment, and they love Andrew Luck so much, that's why they were booing him. I, I don't buy into that. I just think it was a Bush League fan base move. I, I'm, I'm hoping it's that they were booing the Colts organization for not protecting, you know, wasting the good years of Andrew Luck. Because the, the list of injuries he's gone through is just simply ridiculous, right? And I think he had a punctured lung at one point, uh, concussion, uh, you know, the torn labrum in his shoulder. There's, that's a lot of stuff. Kidney. And, his uh, kidney was lacerated. Yeah. yeah. So he, the amount of pain he's had to go through and to recover and everything like that uh, is more than you and I could probably comprehend. And here, the best part about football today is that players are paid enough uh, to be able to make these types of decisions now, especially at the quarterback position. And if you're 29 and you can decide not to take any more hits and you you just don't have the, you know, the wherewithal to go through that type of pain again, then all the more power to you. You better take that opportunity because not many of us get to do that. So he did the right thing. And as we've touched on here already, he could have went into the season uh, you know, maybe recovering, deciding, but his heart, his heart wasn't in it. And then to me, that's the time to go. And he did the right thing. And uh, we should look, uh, the Colts fans look terrible right now. I'm trying to give them the benefit of the doubt. You know, I, I think Philadelphia Eagles fans are probably the, the you know, the steepest of that curve, you know, booing Santa Claus and cheering when Michael Irvin got hurt uh, yeah. when they were at their old stadium. Remember in the, the hard AstroTurf? Yeah, that type of stuff. They're no, they don't exactly get a good reputation. I just think all fan bases are guilty at some point or another of overreacting to something and not realizing that they're these guys are human beings. And yes, they make a lot more money than you and I do, but they still are human and uh, deserve the same respect that you and I would deserve if we're hurt or decide to step aside from whatever job we're doing at that moment. So I think we all get lost in what sports is, and it's just an escape for a few hours here and there, and we shouldn't base our whole life and decide that uh, the world is ending if uh, our favorite player decides to retire or our, our fantasy football quarterback decides to, to shut her down. I should uh, correct myself. Not all Colt fans are like that, and I and I hate when people... 
No, I, I just want to say I hate when people generalize, and that's what I did. That was a mistake. The Colts fans at that stadium that were booing, that's what I don't like. It's not the whole fan base. I shouldn't have generalized. Well, no, but you were. It's a, there wasn't like there was just a couple of people booing. It was, it was the same right. thing when the Raptors fans cheered uh, when Kevin Durant went exactly. down. I don't yeah, care they don't have a good reputation because of that. No, and yes, they cheered when he went off the court and they realized it, but it still happened at that moment, and it wasn't just a few people doing it. It was very poor taste. Mm-hmm. We've all been caught up in the emotion of a moment. Uh, you know, it's, it's embarrassing to think of, but, you know, when I was younger, I would cheer when guys got hurt because just you don't understand you the don't value get it, of yeah. things, obviously. Yeah, you don't get it at that moment, but there was a big chunk of people in there, and I don't care what the Toronto media – the Toronto media could spin it all they want. It was still a bad moment in Toronto sports fans history. So we're, we've all, I don't want to say all of us, a big chunk of us have cheered at the wrong time when somebody's been hurt, but there's lots of instances and too many of them when people get hurt, it shouldn't be, uh, there shouldn't be somebody cheering at somebody getting hurt, even though it does benefit your team or, or fantasy team, but it shouldn't come to that in, in society today. But uh, uh, there is a big chunk of fans that should be embarrassed of what they did. I hope they regret uh, what, how they reacted with that, but, uh, we all know that that's not the case. Yeah, and, um, you know, a lot of people overreacted. Uh, Doug Godlib, uh, there was some terrible things said about Andrew Luck. And I, I just, there's a guy named Rich Ornberger, and it's at Ornberger, uh, a former lineman uh, in the NFL. His thread about what he went through before he retired is amazing. So we have no idea. Like, I, I can't even fathom when I look at that injury list that Andrew Luck went through. I can't fathom getting up in the day. No, and there's another. I don't remember the the beat writer that covered the Colts, but if you watch football from the sidelines, you hear the collisions. It's like a car crash all the time. That's what they go through every single play. And you know, most games on average are seventy plays. I think. Uh, so just imagine being an offensive lineman and having contact every seven, like seventy times uh, every week, and including practice. So mm. there's a lot of things we don't understand. I know there's guys that have played the game. Uh, that have understand football, but if you don't play it at a professional level or at a college level, I think there's some aspects where you, it's a lot a lot faster uh, now than it was when you played in high school or uh, your junior college or so on and so forth. It's just a different game entirely. The speeds are we can't even comprehend at that moment, and it's just the pounding that they take week in and week out is something that you and I don't uh, get, and uh, even. From our short time playing hockey, it just doesn't comprehend at that moment. No. So this Andrew Luck retirement, uh, you know, affected some some drafts uh, in keeper leagues. If you had Andrew Luck like you did, and how it affected me was it bumped another running back down to me. I didn't think I was going to get a chance at a running back in our draft, and I ended up with Damian Williams. And you know, when's the last time an, an Andy Reid running back didn't perform well? Yeah, I know. And anything really, anybody, any offense, like it just. You know, in his days with Philadelphia, you, you, those were there were good quarterbacks. Flat, you know, just uh, Donovan McNabb put up decent numbers for a long time, fantasy wise. Deshaun Jackson, like we go down the list. Brian Westbrook, I, I have a lot of names that I can think of off the top of my head of, of guys in Andy Reid offenses. So yeah, it's for a guy like that, Damian Williams to drop down to you is a blessing. Um, hopefully, it turns out for you. I can't see how it doesn't because of all the offense and all the weapons that that. Uh, that Andy Reid has at his disposal, and that's the only thing you can really think of. Same with the Eagles this year. It's just there's so many players to get the ball to right. and not enough football to go around. So that's the, that's the risk you take, but I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised. Well, not pleasantly surprised. You will be happy with your investment in Damian Williams regarding an injury. So I just don't think 
you know, you, you look at a team like the Miami Dolphins, who you probably shouldn't take anybody from their roster this year. Well, the Kansas City Chiefs have a plethora of options, and uh, you grab one of the finer ones that was available in our draft this year. Yeah, there was a couple of receivers, like Mike Evans was there, and I know you and I had talked yeah. about uh, the potential of Mike Evans, but I just couldn't turn down, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, a potentially well, stud well, how, running back. Well, how thin the position is, so you can't turn down those opportunities. If you can get three stud running backs, uh, then all the more power to you, and you should take that opportunity. So uh, it was it was good for you. Injuries always affect somebody sure. and then help other people out, uh, no matter what, in professional and fantasy sports. All right, let's talk a little hockey. And uh, it was uh, mentioned yesterday, Miko Rantanen, uh, you know, skating with a team in Norway, I think they said. The list of unsigned, restricted free agents is really long in the NHL. You know, at the at the top of that list, you have Mitch Marner, Ranton, and Patrick Laine in, in your backyard in Winnipeg. And then you Kachuk, Besser, McAvoy. They're all waiting for that first domino to fall. Should hockey owners of these players be concerned about them missing time to start the season? Or do you think most of these guys are going to get done before training camps or the season? Well, last year, Dino, uh, Josh Morrissey came. Uh, didn't come to start a training camp. I think he missed the first couple of days and then signed his two-year deal uh, of what he'll be up again next year. We'll be going through this whole process. Hopefully the Jets get into an extension this season. But, I mean, training camp with players, especially, you know, that have been in the league for a little bit, if they're not there the first week or so, I mean, not really a big deal. If you're getting to the first week or two um, of the NHL season in 2019-2020 season and you don't have Kyle Connor and Patrick Lund in your lineup, then things could get a little bit more concerning uh, from Mark Chipman, Kevin Shevodayoff, and Paul Maurice and his coaching staff as you, with the way the Central Division is loaded up this year, you know, falling behind at any point is not going to be a good thing. So maybe the panic button comes in. But that first domino is going to fall here sometime. I, I, I think... You know, we're waiting to find out the agents, the players' association, uh, the management groups, the player. You know, everybody waiting to see who goes first, and then you set the market, and then we go from there. And it sounds simple, but who blinks first in this situation? And it's not like the owners and, and the general managers don't want to get this done. They want this done and out of the way, so they don't have to talk about it. But it's just not that simple. This is a, a special time for these young players who are cornerstones for most of the franchises they play for. So you can see why they're waiting and hopefully getting the best value of what they think they are and getting that. Um, so hopefully a conversation starts soon or these conversations turn into something because man, it would be just nuts here and it'd be nuts in Toronto. It'd be nuts in Denver. If these guys aren't coming to the camp to start the year because of how important they are to their respective rosters. I know a lot of people are looking at, I think Mitch Marner as the guy to start this. Yeah. I think, I think it's going to be Rantanen. I think Rantanen is going to be the guy that starts this and then the dominoes fall. Yeah. I think Rantanen's more, you know, even from looking at Patrick line and Kyle Connor, that's more where they're looking at. I don't know. Mitch Marner seems to be, a little bit in the higher stratosphere. Like if he's thinking about 10 million, I'm hoping that that's not what everybody else is looking for expecting because that will really make things tricky, uh, especially here in Winnipeg. And I'm sure that the Colorado Avalanche don't want to pay Miko Ranson that type of money. But I agree with you. I think it's Rant- Ranton is going to set the market for the, and Mitch Marner is on his own. To me, anyways, Mitch Marner is a market in, in it to itself. And then Miko Ranson, I think, pays the things from there. So, I know Patrick Laine and, and Miko Ranton and clearly live in Finland, and I'm sure they've talked to one another about their respective contract situations. So uh, who knows? I know that Laine plans to stay in Finland, uh, as he told Chris Johnson of Sportsnet, uh, until his deal is done. So uh, I'm sure they're, you know, Jets fans and management and coaching staff are hoping that that uh, becomes happening sooner or later. But I, I'm, if I'm an owner, 
I'm not worried right now. I'm just concerned. So that's all it really is at this point. All right, uh, let's take a look at uh, fantasy baseball now. It's the final week of the season for most leagues, including ours. Uh, you have a chance to help me out. Uh, uh, sorry I drubbed you this week, but I needed to get back into third place. But you have a chance to help me out and, and play spoiler. Um, but I want to ask you, who do you think is the best fantasy baseball pitcher, starting pitcher? Well, I, I'm going to be literally patting you on the back because I know there was a plethora of people. I like the word plethora today, if you don't mind. Yeah. Um, looking to take jo- Justin Verlander off your hand. And wisely of you, uh, you did not take it. I offered you last year, I believe. And then I know you were telling me a couple of weeks ago that a, a horde of people were trying to get Justin Verlander when you were in your, you know, it looked like you weren't going to make the playoffs in right. our league. So. Clearly, every, you know, the Sharks smell blood and they're all over. Of course, that is like one of the worst times to make a fantasy trade. And that's what I'm, I'm bad about. I panic. I'm a panic trader. So um, so I think Justin Verlander at 15 and 5, you know, whip below 1. And then his DR is up there in the strikeouts. I just think, and, and a team that is loaded uh, offensively as well with the Houston Astros, I don't think you can go wrong. And then, of course, you, you and I talked before one. Garrett Cole is right behind there. And, you know, this is, this is a pitching staff that I, I don't think we're going to see again for a long time, in, and especially with the way baseball works out. But what Houston has done, accumulating these arms uh, and going out there and making deals with the deadline too, to get Granke as well, it's just an incredible collection. Uh, and, you know, especially in the best of five series, who's going to beat those guys, right? So uh, to me, Justin Verlander, even at his you know, advanced age in, the, in, in today's game, uh, to me, it's the best pitcher in fantasy baseball right now. Yeah, and I'm lucky. Listen, I was getting like, and and that's funny. The offers I were getting were equivalent for like a number four starter, not the number one yeah. starter in the league. Yeah. But that's that's what people do. And I I agree. Garrett Cole, he also has 15 wins. He also has a WHIP below one. Uh, he also has 238 strikeouts, only one strikeout behind Verlander. And, you know, I look at a guy like uh, uh, Domingo Hernan in, in New York. He's got 17 wins. He just did beat Kershaw, but he only has he has 100 less strikeouts than those other guys. And to be the number one pitcher, you got to have the strikeout numbers. Yeah, you got to have the strikeout numbers. And in some leagues, the ERA, too. His ERA is gross. I think it's over four. It too, is, yeah. So, it is over uh, four. It is that clearly is the incredible run support that he receives from that deadly lineup that the Yankees put out at their day in and day out. So I think, you know, Hernan should be thankful that he has those type of players. Whereas, you know, uh, the likes of Verlander, you know, Verlander's got the offense too, but not quite like the Yankees. And they're doing their part, right. With the, the points and the, uh, keeping the ERA down and keeping the runs off the board and, and racking up the strikeouts. So, I mean, even look at what, Clayton Kershaw did the other day on Sunday against mm-hmm. the uh, Yankees. Tw- Twelve strikeouts, just no run support. And the Gave Dodgers up three home runs. Yeah, yeah, the Dodgers. Yeah, he gives up the home runs. That's his thing right now. And um, but he did not get the run support. That the, and the Dodgers bats have kind of gone quiet lately as well. Maybe it's the lack of uh, incentive to really go all out right now. It's not for home field advantage uh, in the World Series and in the National League too. But they, they've been so dominant this year. But the bats have gone quiet, and I'm fine with them going quiet at the end of August, as right. long as they get going here right away. Yeah, don't go quiet in October. Um, okay, uh, give us a uh, commish story. I know you had to draft for somebody else this past weekend, which was, it's so tough, but what's your commish story this week? Well, I, I think the one part about being a commissioner is that, that day when you decide to sit down and become a commissioner and you're setting up your draft, and there's just so many options now. And then 
you know, when I started the fantasy football league, we talked about it was on paper, so it was way easier. And I got my rules out of the out of the magazine, fantasy football. I can't remember now. Oh, fantasy football guide or something like that. And uh, that was easy. But now with so many options ahead of you, making the right choice and having it work out for you is is the thing. So I I, I can't remember the web. It's called Fantrax. And I did hockey last year. And I think the funnest part is finding those new stats that are, make things relevant and make players better. So if you're, for me, my fantasy story is the one where, uh, and I don't know if we talked about this, hits and blocks for fantasy hockey because yeah. it's tough. It's tough to make other defensemen decent, right? You, you're, you only have your select one one uh, defenseman that plays on the power play. So you only got 30 top ranked defensemen. So you got to find another way to make other defensemen relevant. And I found the hits plus blocks is is, is uh, a great stat and now i saw in the hockey news that they've got this uh, department where they they grab guys for uh, adverse stats which is hits and blocks uh and they're, they're ranking those guys the leaders on each team to make it easier for you to go out and grab those guys so i, I find that fun there was gordy howe hat tricks on, on fan tracks as an option for a stat category so but to me now as a fantasy commissioner it's, it's one of the best times because of all the options and how easy the websites make it for you. It's just dealing with everybody afterwards that maybe a certain stat doesn't uh, help you out. And I'll use myself for an example. Greg Donnelly is the commissioner in our in our fantasy hockey league, and I complained to him last year about plus minus because I think it's a garbage stat, first off. And second of all, I had Patrick Laine and Rick Rahel Ristolainen last right. year. and I had for, Yeah, I, I set our fantasy record. I think I by I broke the record by minus twenty five, so all an all time crappy. So I was angry about it. Those are the types of things. But it's just it's a great time to be a commissioner if you have the time and the patience to put up with everybody. But starting a league is so much fun, uh, and watching and you know setting records for the league and stuff. So to me, a fantasy commissioner story is just that first time you sit down and you get together and you decide to put all those uh, rules together and ha- to to have a lot of fun. And that's the one part I love about this. I just entered a fancy basketball league because, you know, I'm not in enough of them already, but I'm just looking forward to taking part of that. It's just fun. It's something to talk about. Yeah, things get heated every once in a while, but man, it's just another way to escape every once in a while uh, and not having to get, uh, you know, crap, you know, drink your face off or do something illegal uh, to have fun. So that's uh, one of my favorite things to talk about. And it's one of my favorite things to do. So here's your fantasy commissioner story of the day. You joined a fantasy basketball league? Just yesterday. Oh, I might have to get into that then. If we're going to be talking about uh, uh, fantasy basketball, I might have to look into joining a fantasy basketball league then because I think I would be I, – I'm more, I'm more interested in the NBA than I was 10 years ago. Yeah, the drama that comes to the NBA is incredible. Like yeah. that, the guys – I know people may complain about it, and it, it will not happen in hockey where these super teams go together because one player – there's a few select players that you can say will change your franchise. Uh, there are just so many of them in the NBA, and I love the fact that they decide. They, they, they're the reason why people go out and watch. So why shouldn't they dictate where they go sometimes? And uh, if you're not the perfect location, then draft better and build a better squad, and then these these top names will come to you. So um, I, I love it. I love what's going on. Uh, I really like what Kawhi Leonard did. He never lied to anybody. He never promised anything. He just quietly went around his business, won a title, and uh, went back home. And we who. Who isn't out there that if they love their home, why shouldn't you go play near home and near family and friends? And I, I really appreciate Kawhi Leonard for not lying to people and saying that he loved Toronto and thinking about staying. He didn't. He never said one thing. He was classy about it, and uh, I appreciate him for it. 
All right, you sold me. I'm going to join a fantasy basketball league for <laughs> this year. Good luck. Uh, thanks, buddy. For be uh, basketball on Edmonton. Yeah, there there'll be. I'll, I'll reach out to like Brian oh. Swain or something like that, or Paul Sir, Mark Bajo. Swain will take care of you. Somebody He'll take will. Care. Yeah. Thanks as yeah, always, right, buddy. buddy. Uh, have a good week, right. and uh, you know, hopefully next week we're talking about some RFA signing in the NHL. Um, I I don't know, buddy, <laughs> but maybe the week after that. <laughs> All right, take care, man. Okay, okay, buddy. All the best. All the things that grow up on the land, I could pick up with my huge hands. I could wave to someone in Yucatan if I held up my two huge hands. This is the Sports and More podcast with Dean Millard. If I only had those two huge hands, maybe I could reach. Right, at this time, let's get back to part two of our uh, really, really funny interview with uh, former Oiler goaltender Joaquin Gage, who also played uh, junior hockey in uh, Portland, uh, Prince Albert, and uh, attended Notre Dame uh, in Wilcox, Saskatchewan. Or you played, uh, so you played in uh, Notre Dame, as we talked about. Uh, you end up in Portland for a few years. Uh, Ken Hodge, I think, was the, the Hodge coach. Was there, yeah. Um, and then you end up in your final year in Prince Albert. And uh, you you played with a guy who was kind of at the center of one of the <laughs> biggest swings and misses of this organization. The 95 draft is in Edmonton. Fans are chanting Shane Doan's name as the Oilers go up to make their pick, and they take Steve Kelly, a guy you played with. Um, did you think Steve Kelly, like, you know, everybody wanted Shane Doan, and, you know, twenty hindsight is obviously twenty twenty, and we know what Shane Doan did, and, and you know, we know that Steve Kelly unfortunately never panned out, but he was a good junior player. He was for, I played with him when he was 17, and his draft year, and he seemed like the sky was the limit with this kid. And like we were saying before, he, we, he played in PA, and he looked like Madonna when he skated, right? So the, he had those comparisons because he did have that yeah. type of speed. But if he would have played in Moose Jaw or he Prince wouldn't. George, there would Madano's name wouldn't have no, come up. No, it wouldn't have come that's up. A, that's a but, bit of an unf- yeah. unfair label yeah. to give him. It, it was really unfair. And, you know, yeah, of course, hindsight's always twenty twenty with Doan, but I I played against Shane a lot too because just being in Portland mm-hmm. and he was, he was younger, but... It seemed like skill-wise, um, Steve Kelly would have been the far superior player at that point. I think. So you were in the organization at the time. Why do you? And do, do you know why it didn't work out? You know, the, his first year, he was he did quite well. Like in the minors, he was good. He mm-hmm. he he was he was really good. But <laughs> Stevie, like I said, he was he was a bit of a hothead, you know. And and that's the thing about the American League. So that's right. It's a it's a grind. We had Holbig, Stevie. Um, there were a few other guys. Greg DeVries. Uh, there was a lot of guys getting called up and sent down. Um, uh, so it that would affect Stevie, you know. So if someone else got called up and maybe he had a you know a couple goals that game, he was pissed. He would take it as a slight. He yeah, uh, and he uh, he was like. 
you wouldn't see him on the ice. He couldn't he couldn't compartmentalize a lot of things and and focus on the next game. And so that was uh, he was his own worst enemy, I think, at, at certain times. Yeah. But yeah, if, I mean, I wish he was a great guy, a great teammate. Yeah. But um, yeah, that's I think that's that's what uh, that's what hurt him the most. Just to he almost. He wanted to succeed so badly it it uh, it affected him poorly. Yeah, that's it's too bad. It, listen, when that that's a tough situation for him to walk into, uh, where the entire arena is chanting somebody else's name, then they announce you, and they're not happy. Yeah, that might make anybody uncomfortable walking into being like, "Oh my goodness." And when you look back now, at, if he would have went out and had uh, seventy points every yeah. year, ninety points, people would have forgot it. Yeah. But he didn't, and then people you know poured on even more. And they wanted Stevie to be that offensive juggernaut right away too, right? If you looked at Shane Doan in Winnipeg, he was he was insulated in third and fourth line, crashing and banging, yep. getting some power play time, scoring a goal, and he had yeah, I, I don't know, he had Solani, he had Zamnoff, he had Kachuk Look, already I, there. I hated all those Kamloops guys. I hate Stredwick and <laughs> Doan and Aginla and stuff. They they just they're uh, they were so arrogant, but they were so good. But uh, Don had one. He had the Aginla smile too, you know, like that a, a f- infectious smile when he scored a goal. Like he made everyone happy because you could see just see that joy in his in his face every time he scored. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, those Camus guys. But everyone, uh, I mean, who knows? They were so good, but everyone loves a winner too, you know. And they True. had, they just, uh, I would, they most NHL teams when it comes down to a guy. That, that's why you pick the guys that have won before, especially an MC. That's mm-hmm. a that's a tough one to win. Yeah, and multiple, multiple. Like how many yeah. teams do that? Well, you know, like uh, and listen, I remember that was uh, you know I, I talked to Wade Redden every once in a while, mm-hmm. and he's going to appear on this uh, show in the next little while. Those are some good Brandon Weeking teams that yeah. that got you know manhandled by those mm-hmm. Canoes teams. Yeah, yeah, I remember my first year in Portland because I went to training camp in Canoes the year before and uh, Niedermeyer. Just, yeah. I remember going like I was in school with him, and he was really annoying because a he was brilliant, yeah. like he was so <laughs> smart, getting like straight A's, and I was just struggling to try to keep up. And then we'd go play, and he was even better on the ice, you know. Mm-hmm. And I remember that first year, he was in New Jersey for the first month and a half or whatever, and he came back to junior that year. That was the scariest game ever when he came back he treated us all just like little kids i remember one 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 uh penalty kill he for check got the puck skated back to his own end and stopped in front of his own goalie and put like one foot up and just with his stick cocked what and a guy came towards him to get the puck and he took a slap shot and i it hit me in the chest and i caught it i and this was like in the first few minutes and I go. Well, this is this is going to be a long night if this guy's going to start pulling this crap. Was he like posing? <laughs> yeah, it looked like he was. He had his. It was so. It was awful, and we were all in shock because he was such a good skater, right? And he came check checked our demon and skated back into our his own end with the puck, and we had the power play, and we were like, "What just happened?" <laughs> that is. Hilarious. Just <laughs> toying with you. Um, who's the best player you ever played with at the pro level? Ooh, at the pro level. Um, 
Well, I'd have to say Doug Wade at, mm-hmm. the, at the pro level. He was, he was phenomenal. Um, just all around best all player. Of, yeah, yeah, just ev- he encompassed everything that uh, that you want a teammate captain player. Was he the most skilled guy, or that would that be? Because sometimes the most skilled guy no. isn't the best all around player. Who is the best? Who is the most skilled guy? The guy that you said, man, that guy can do crazy things with the puck at the pro level. Um, gosh, there were so many that could do weird stuff. Um, Dougie was one of them. Like he had that thing on a string. Well, he was such a, just an incredible, incredible vision. Yeah. And passer, everything. Um, but I would have to say like Paul Korea, just playing against him and growing up with him, Mm -hmm. he was, he was the best player I ever kind of played against. He was just, he was phenomenal. What an awesome talent. I wish, uh, He's one of those players that I wish played now. Yeah. You know? Yeah, like, totally. It, it would, I would love like to he, see. Look at Johnny Gaudreau, right? Yeah. The things Paul Correa could do. Yeah. I, 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 no offense to Gaudreau, but I think Paul is, was, would be a much better player. Well, just, much, way better skater, way, obviously. Yeah, yeah, just unbelievable. The, having said that, one of the most impressive things ever from Paul Correa's career was taking the hit in oh. the Stanley Cup Finals you could see the breath on the visor, and then he comes back and scores that goal. That is one of the most impressive things I have seen in sports because I thought he was oh, done I th- for I good. Was, yeah, I thought there was an ambulance there. But when that uh, that uh, special came out of that interview, mm-hmm. he doesn't remember. Doesn't anybody. remember. Isn't yeah. that scary? It's awful. I know uh, old oiler Dean McCammons. When I go out to Kelowna, sometimes I can get in touch with him, and uh, he has a lot of issues still mm-hmm. with the uh with the headshots. Um I think Matt Cook hit him and Yep. And uh cuz I think we were on his boat and uh, some Bon Jovi came on. And when Dean was here, we went to the Bon Jovi concert and it, we didn't want to go but we had some tickets and so we went and then we ended up having a great time cuz we knew the words to mm-hmm. every song. Yeah. And, <laughs> so but he did he didn't remember us uh, going. Yeah. So That's really scary. Yeah, awful. You know, you look at Andrew Luck retiring at 29, and, you know, we talk about bad fans. How about booing your quarterback because he's retiring? You know, who wouldn't want the Freedom 29 plan? I know athletes want to play forever, but every average Joe would retire at 29 if they could. And the list of his injuries, like, is ridiculous. I don't blame any athlete for retiring. I think that's silly. To boo him, that was atrocious. It's, I look at it this way. That's, like, it's it's an emotion, you know, and... The fans obviously loved him so much to that they didn't want him to go. I don't think they were booing him because they don't like him. They were booing him because he's gone. And really? They, I yeah. think they were booing him because he retired. Yeah, but I I just think in an emotional state they were just I don't I don't think it's that as bad as like I I was reading a bunch of stuff on it and I just I think the fans are just upset that they they don't have their guy anymore. You know, I I look at it from like I would. I don't think I'd boo him, but I if I was that invested in uh, mm. in someone like that, yeah, I, I would be upset that he retired. When like you he, get booed in a game, do you, does it affect you? No, no. I, I usually did something to, to yeah, deserve it. Obviously, yeah. Or, but you know like what? as a team, I mean. I, it, I liked getting booed in a, a visiting state. Yeah, sure. Because... There, you're having an effect on them. I'm having an effect, and I'm that usually means I'm having a pretty good game, like... There was no better feeling being a goalie and having 10,000 people up out of their seats mm-hmm. 
And then that collective, oh, you know, because they thought their team just scored. scored yeah. yeah, that was uh, that's an, that's an intoxicating feeling. Okay, before we get to some superhero stuff, because I want to <laughs> talk about that. Who was the guy you feared the most in the NHL? Was there was there one guy, uh, or maybe even a couple guys, where you're like, oh man, um, maybe a slap shot or a break? I don't know. I played against Toronto a lot, um, and it seemed like I played against Dallas in preseason. Um, Matt's scared me a lot just because the way he shot the puck, it seemed like if he didn't stop it, it would have gone in. And mm-hmm. um, Medano with the speed and the wrist shot, his wrist shot at that point was like a, a slap shot. Yeah. It was just, and he was so fast. See, I, that's the thing. People always talk about the guy that comes in uh, slow on the shootout. I'll take that all the time. Yeah. I don't want a guy coming in fast, so I don't know. Yeah. You come in slow, that's right in my wheelhouse for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, no, you, you get time to set up. But yeah. he would be moving his feet and and stuff and, and letting these pucks go. But most NHL guys are like that. You yeah, know, it's now, just, yeah, it's crazy. It, it's crazy. with the. I remember when those sticks first came out, and it made a guy with an average shot a great shot. Yeah. And that's why goalies want to be a little bit more protected, right? Well, yeah, I always thought, because, yeah, I mean, guys are probably shooting it. It's been a while since I've been in an NHL practice, but I'm sure I was talking to uh, another goalie instructor guy, and he said most goalies wear that uh, under mm-hmm. vest kind of thing under their gear because they so many it shots absorbs it, yeah. and you can you can hear like guys taking shots that you can hear them uh, yeah. uh, all the time, you know. And I I remember I'd, sometimes my hand would hurt so much just from getting pucks in the palm of my hand, yeah. but I would intentionally take another step to the left and make them shoot blocker side just because I, they'd look up yeah, and yeah, yeah. they wouldn't see anything gloves. So yeah. they, it's just to protect my hand. <laughs> Speaking of sticks, you were telling me a funny story. I have a picture of Wayne Gretzky. Uh, he's got the Easton two piece. You said Tom Pody, that's, that was his go-to stick. Yeah. Then he had to use those sticks for the first four or five years of his career. Barry Stafford was combing the local hockey shops trying to find <laughs> Pody some staff some shafts for his, wow. yeah so he, I guess guys get just get particular right yeah and his was weird like he used the full length of the of the top of the uh, extender there like it was a huge stick I can't believe how well he could handle the puck with that thing but yeah he was just really particular did you have was there one guy that had the uh, you know maybe the strangest uh, game day routine that you ever played with did you have a strange routine. Uh, not so much. I tried to keep it as simple. Goalies are normal. Yeah, no, I tried to keep it as simple as possible. Some goalies, like, they really, they didn't talk to anyone or didn't, like, they had to go full, full. I couldn't do that. I just, I had to, I had to relax a little bit. If I tried to pump myself up so much throughout the whole day, there'd be nothing left by game time. You know, I waited, I, I liked the slow burn, yeah. not just the just put it pedal to the metal the whole day. <laughs> like, And then you look at a guy like Ron Hextall who beat the crap out of his posts, right? And yeah. well, I thought that was cool. So then what I would do is I would come by and tap the blade, tap the shaft, tap. And I was uh, not very good uh, with if I forgot to do something, yeah. I'm like, oh my God. No, so I I'm forgot. thinking of that yeah. instead of the guy on the breakaway. But there are guys in the in the league that are very superstitious. That's what I hate about Koskinen a bit because he, he hits his posts before the puck comes into the... Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can hear it on I the broadcast. Can, and it sounds like, to me, I hear that sound and it sounds like a, a puck hitting the post. And a lot of times I'll have the game on or whatever and I'm, I'm doing stuff. <laughs> yeah. So I'll be He's tricking I'll you. be cooking something and I'll hear a ding and I 
quickly look and I go, who hit the post from the other end? Like, how do you, uh, what happened? And so I hate it. And so I'm like, oh gosh, he's got to quit doing that or pad the post. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I love hearing about uh, players, um, you know, superstitions, whether it's putting equipment on this way or that way or things that they do. Um, you know, the, the one thing I don't understand is the, the non-helmets in warm up. It's like, uh, you know, guys in slap shot doing their flow so they can get out on the, uh, out in the ice and look good. Yeah. They, uh, w- there's, there were a few pretty boys I played with, uh, Bond senior, like I said, he, if he spent as much time on his hair before warm up as he did his hot, like his, uh, his skills and practice habits, he'd probably still be in the NHL. Cause that was, uh, that yeah. was quite the quaffed hair. <laughs> Uh, okay, I do want to talk because uh, you're 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 a massive. As a kid, you were a <laughs> massive comic book fan. So much so that you would have comics ship when you were going to Notre Dame. You had a system. Oh yeah, I uh, the old comic book store on Fourth Avenue in Vancouver. I had a bin. Most comic book stores have them now, but I uh, I had my list, and the, every month that the comics came out, I had the guys put my the count comics that I wanted in the in my bin, and of course I was in Vancouver and and. But I was living in uh, in Wilcox, Saskatchewan, so my dad would uh, mail me out these comics. But uh, after a few months, they they stopped, and uh, I phoned my mom after a couple of weeks and said, "Where are my comics?" And she said, "My dad was reading them, so he's not sending them anymore." <laughs> That's funny. Oh, like gosh. you know, you and your dad were able to bond over uh, comics after yeah. that. No, we were. We had a there was a few comics, Preacher and Punisher and Wolverine. That was uh, my dad's favorite ones, and so that's the. Those are the ones that he collected. It was funny, though, because I remember coming home for the summer and we went into the comic book shop together and everyone knew my dad's name. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah. Uh, so comic book uh, characters, a lot of uh, um, have become either movies or TV. And our top three today is your top three villains on TV. So I'm gonna, I'll am gonna, i give you mine uh, uh, that I uh, gave earlier on the show. It is... Uh, and the, my honorable mention, I always have an honorable mention, is the Scooby Gang, uh, whatever, <laughs> whoever they unmask. That's because yeah. it was always the great, you know, if, uh, oh, it's the old amusement yeah. park caretaker and I would have got <laughs> away with it. So, so my honorable mention is that. Uh, the third one I'm going with is, did you ever watch American Horror Story? No, I never watched it. Okay, that. it's a really, I, I love it. I'm yep. a horror guy. But there was this Dr. Oliver Threadson slash Bloody Face, who yeah. was this doctor who was actually a serial killer. It's awesome. Uh, number two for me is Kilgrave from Jessica Jones. Okay. Anytime you can mind control somebody, you have That's, the power to one. do anything. And Ramsey Bolton from Game of Thrones is the number one. I almost went with Joffrey, yeah, but Ramsey was just a way more cruel and torturous. So, so that's my list. Uh, you have, have a lot more experience yeah. in villains. Those what are do you think? two that I probably would have picked too. But uh, and by all means, you can use them. Oh, uh, we'll, we'll go off the board, I think. But uh, well. I'll have to go with Game of Thrones for three. Maybe Cersei Lannister. She oh, was. Oh, she was. Genius, she was. Yeah. She was pretty bad. Cold blooded. Yeah. Ah, uh, gosh. Ooh. Well, how about uh, let's go Breaking Bad. Gus Fring mm-hmm. from Breaking Bad. He was. I've st- I st- I'm gonna get back into Breaking Bad. Yeah. I stopped at one point, but I keep and I haven't got to him because he was the guy in like the fast food joint, right? Yeah, he yeah. was the. So I haven't got to him yet, but I've heard crazy yeah, things about he's, him. He's a really good bad guy. Um, gosh, my last one. Jeez, that's a tough one. Well, I guess you can kind of go with. Uh, Walter White was kind of a bad guy yeah. too. So, 
Yeah, let's go Walter White. All right. With number one. All right. I like that. Um, What about uh, superhero characters? Uh, Who are the guys? You were telling me about the show Preacher on AMC, which I didn't even realize uh, was a comic. Uh, Oh, yeah. And and it's funny. You know, when I was growing up, there was the Batman movies and the Superman movies, and you knew who the good guys and the bad guys were. Do you find, uh, like, like I watch these Marvel Netflix series, and they all don't want to be superheroes, right? It's like... It's kind of a blur now. Well, it's the birth of the, they talk about the anti-hero. Like, that's right, uh, yeah, yeah. So, I mean. Because that's kind of like what Preacher is, right? Basically, Kind of an yeah. anti-hero. And even the some of the characters that are <clears throat> supposed to be the good guys aren't so good, right? Uh, Venom, perfect uh, example. Like, he's mm-hmm. he's a bad good guy, kind of, yeah. right? So, um, I uh, I don't know. I, 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 I like the whole, I like the, my heroes to have a bit of a bad streak in them, like Punisher, who was my favorite comic book growing up as a kid, and a great Netflix series. That, it is, it's, yeah. It's phenomenal. There was a movie they did, right? Oh, there was three. Dolph Lundgren did the first one. Thomas Awful. Jane. Thomas Jane. His was, it was goofy. But it's different than the story that Marvel is uh, telling in this Netflix series. Yeah. It, it, was, it was along the same vein, but the, the events were different. Yeah, no, it, the, uh, the one on Netflix is closest to the comic okay. probably as, as possible. But of course in the comic, it's uh he was a Vietnam veteran, right? So oh, old it, and old, yeah, yeah, yeah. Old, yeah, originally. Yeah, originally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, was his. Well, you have to update it now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He'd be yeah, kind of old. And a walker and yeah. So he, uh, but uh, no, and his, uh, his family was killed in a, in a gangland shooting. Oh, okay. So that was his, his uh, reason for vengeance. So out of the Marvel of, um, um, series then or the, sorry the netflix series um for me jessica jones is probably one two with yeah. punisher yeah um and then i like luke cage daredevil and iron fist i could do yeah, without no. but is punisher your favorite out of those i i have to go one a one b with daredevil and oh, Punisher okay. because i was not a huge daredevil fan as as a kid but, but i know gee flaming was a really big, really he's talked about that yeah, in the no, past I, so i i didn't collect them but i would get like the the big thick story ones and i think uh, like the graphic uh, novels yeah, and i i i believe i even uh gosh i can't believe i did this but i i would buy the novels no pictures and read the there was one it was because uh daredevil's main villain is either wilson fisk or bullseye bullseye's the uh he's uh he's the villain that because he can I He's don't got think perfect. I've seen Bullseye yet. Well, you you, you got to watch the last season. Yeah, of season Daredevil. three. Da- I'm yeah. getting to that. On yeah, the, I'm so right now. I'm season two of Luke Cage, so I'll see Bullseye. So. That he does a really good Bullseye. Okay, so, good. Um, but I read the that one, and it was they were awesome. So to see Daredevil done right, yeah, I I thought it was great because Vincent D'Onofrio was really good oh, as Wilson Fisk. He was phenomenal, and uh, I actually what's his name? I forget the guy that played Daredevil, but I took my. My son and I, we go to Comic-Con while, yeah. while it's here, and he was there the one oh, time. Oh, no way. Yeah, so we, we saw him, which was pretty cool. Yeah, he's good. The one thing I'll say about those series is I like all the main stars, except for the Iron Fist. is That's on its own because it's just weird. Um, but I find some of the supporting actors are weak. Like yeah. some of the, the, like I find, okay, so with Jessica Jones, you got Jessica Jones, uh, you got Trish, who I'm looking forward to seeing what happens to yeah, her in yeah, season yeah. three. And then you have uh, Malcolm, and and obviously Carrie Ann Moss was really good yeah, as, yeah, yeah. Uh, as the lawyer. Yeah. But then the the rest of them, I really struck. It's like 
wow, did you guys spend so much money on these actors that I, I don't yeah, understand? Yeah, I didn't have it. anything left for yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> it just seems weird. Um, but the, the all the main characters and, and the actors that play them, I really, really like them. They can carry the scene. Yeah, sometimes it's uh, it's a little... Uh, what what's going on here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like oh my god, you guys should have reshot <laughs> yeah. this scene or yeah, whatever. But uh, no, I'm I I love it. I love the fact that uh, they've brought my my childhood uh, characters of of comics to to the right. screen, and I can watch them. I just uh, what did I see? Because I'm also I love Star Wars too. But uh, I just saw that the Disney Plus is doing a a full series with the Mandalorians, which are kind of like the Boba Fett kind of guys. So, no way. Yeah, so. Boba Fett is like the, he's got like a cult following that yeah. character, doesn't he? Well, um, I mean, all those guys, they, if you read those books and I've read a few of those Star Wars novels and yeah. they're, they're great. Cause I, I always, I'm always fascinated of the backstory of how everything happened, like the Sith and the Jedi sure, yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. So one series I read that was just great. It was called the, the rule of two and it's Darth Bane and how the Sith evolved and stuff. But I, I'm interested in that. That's good. So who's your favorite, who would you say, who would be your favorite superhero you know, from when you were a kid to, to now? Oh uh, gosh. I guess I'd have to say Frank Castle. Frank Castle. Yeah, right? yeah. Just because I like the, the superpowers and stuff, but Frank Castle was always attainable. Like just like Batman. Batman was one of my favorites. True. Favorites right. He just too, had cool gadgets. He just, yeah. He just, he was smarter than everyone yeah. else. Right. So, but uh, yeah, I think Frank. Yeah, you couldn't know. identify with uh, Superman or Spider Man. No, like, nobody to, could, unless no. you get bit by a radioactive yeah, exactly. spider, which I don't think uh, that's how that really works. Uh, yeah, maybe go to Chernobyl and hang out. <laughs> yeah, and see if someone bites you. <laughs> that's a pretty good show. That's a great uh, show as well. Uh, Joaquin, this has been a lot of fun. Thanks so much for uh, joining me here, that's and been great. Uh, I, I implore people to follow you on Twitter, Old Goalie, uh, Joaquin Gage Thirty <laughs> One. Uh, best of luck down the road. Thanks, buddy. Oh, that's hot. <laughs> That's hot. What's hot right now? Hansel. So hot right now. Hansel. Let's explore in cool of the week. Very well. Where do I begin? All right. In cool of the week, I'm going with uh, Eddie Murphy. We'll be hosting Saturday Night Live on December 21st. Going to be back on that stage. Uh, I can't wait for that. Uh, he's got some big Netflix uh, specials. Uh, Coming to America 2 is uh, he's making. Uh, and I can't wait for it. And, and listen, what they need to do, they need to do a Mr. Robinson's Neighborhood and have Tom Hanks as Mr. Rogers show up. Uh, so Saturday Night Live, make that happen, please. Cool of the week is Eddie Murphy hosting Saturday Night Live on December 21st. Cannot wait for that. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. What would you do if you were obscenely rich? One hundred billion dollars. Tweet us at Duck Millard and start building your lottery list. Do you plan to do if you win the lottery? Well, I'd finally splurge and buy myself one of those fancy four-piece suits. Peter, my God, what the hell are you wearing? It's a solid gold tuxedo, Lois. (laughs) 
All right, on the obscenely rich list today, uh, it's the uh, Stanley Cup playoff chase I would be going on. Um, this is how it would work. I would pick one team at the start of the playoffs, the team I think will win it all, and I would go to every game of theirs until either they win the cup or are eliminated. And if they're eliminated, I just start following the team that knocked them out until you get to the Stanley Cup Finals. So you get to follow the Stanley Cup Finals uh, almost step-by-step uh, -step with one team, hopefully, or uh, if not, uh, you would uh, hook onto another team. But uh, I think that would be one of the coolest things is, you know, especially if you pick the team that at least went to the final, you could see their every step, follow them team by team. And you're obscenely rich, so you'd be chartering planes back and forth so it'd be comfortable what a party that would be what a fun two and a half month experience it would be uh, to follow uh, some route to the stanley cup playoffs that's what i would do if i was obscenely rich this has been a fun show joaquin gage was an awesome guest uh, i really appreciate his time follow him on twitter at old goalie uh, at joaquin gage 31 and our thanks to jamie thomas who uh, handled Andrew Luck retiring on him in fantasy football rather well. Have yourselves a great week. Remember, Sports & More Live debuts a week from today, September 3rd, Tuesday, on the 12-ounce Sports Radio Network, 2 p.m. Mountain Time. Check out my Twitter feed, at Doc Millard. I'll have all the details. Thank you so much for listening. Playtime is over. sing a lot but he stopped when his dad yelled shut up this is the sports and more podcast with dean millard cut the gas when his girlfriend yelled slow down cameron used to read but he closed the sleeve when his friend yelled hey Yeah.